Free Talk Live. Welcome to Free Talk Live. It's talk radio that you control. And the number to call in with whatever is on your mind is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. And in the studio with you tonight, it's me, Bonnie. It's Ian. And tonight we have a lot of things to discuss with you. I'm going to start off with this article from Reason.com. Mm-hmm. Reason.com is from the first of this month. Federal Appeals Court Rules... Detroit's asset forfeiture violates due, pro- or due process rights of drivers. And that's a really good thing because if you don't know what civil asset forfeiture is, it's just stealing which the government has made legal for its goons. So it's okay for them, but not anyone else. I mean, it's just not okay, but it's not illegal for them to do it. It's not stealing when they do it. It is, but... No, it absolutely is. But (laughs) they have a different name for it. So they have this in a lot of cases with government programs and government taxes. Like, you know, tax... They're basically euphemisms, right? So the word tax has a definition, sort of a legal definition, but the reality is it's just extortion. It's just where they tell you, you pay us this amount that we decide, or else we're going to hurt you, maybe steal your kids from you, maybe steal your home from you. That is the definition of extortion. When the mafia does it, it's extortion. But when the government does it, it's taxes. Yep. So they do all kinds of things like that where they can do it, but you can't do it. And even if they do their civil asset forfeiture theft in a way that ends up being ruled to have not been correct, it wasn't right, Mm -hmm. they're just not going to get in trouble anyway because they have... um, Qualified immunity, I think. Is yeah, qualified the term. immunity. Yeah, and then of course you have to fight to get your stuff back. So, uh, and, and civil asset forfeiture is different from criminal asset forfeiture, where you know if somebody is convicted of a so-called crime, which of course many of these are victimless, like the Crypto Six case. There's forfeiture in those cases as well. Uh, but civil asset forfeiture, we have seen some reform on there have been some states that have done this i believe new hampshire is one of them uh where and i can't say off the top of my head exactly how far these reforms have have gone or you know what the most um relevant points are but i know there has been some in recent recent years criminal or civil Civil, asset of civil asset yeah well it's even it seems to be even worse than criminal asset forfeiture in a way because at least if you get things taken from you after you have lost a court case, like at least they tr- um, are making it look like they followed due process laws. But with civil asset forfeiture, maybe a lot of people don't know this, but it usually just involves you got pulled over, you're suspected of something, they take all your money. Mm-hmm. Even if you get proven to have not done it, sometimes you can't get your money back. Well, at least you have to really fight to get it back. Yeah. And that usually means hiring lawyers. And of course, they don't work cheap. You know, yeah. good lawyer is going to cost you $350 an hour. Yeah. And if you already, if you got $1,000 taken from you, you're not going to want to spend $8,000 to fight it. Nope. I mean, there's the principle of the matter, but then there's the reality, which is, you know, money means something and you're not going to spend more than the cost of the thing. So like our friend, I mean, this isn't civil asset forfeiture, but our friend on the show, Joa, who was uh, our co-host on Thursdays for a while, he got a... Uh, 
what was it, a restraining order against him, and they the cops took his gun. And then a year later, once the restraining order was lifted, and it was wrongfully put on him in the first place. Yeah, we went to the trial. I wanted to say yeah. it was completely ridiculous. We were shocked that the judge ruled the way he did. But the BS didn't stop once it was over, you know, the year was over. The, the police then said, yeah, sure, you can come get your gun that we confiscated from you. There's an $800 storage fee that we're charging you for this. And it's just like, the gun isn't worth $800. Why am I going to pay you? police department an $800 storage fee. And it's just ridiculous to think, well, we confiscated something from you. You didn't want stored with us, but you're going to have to pay us for it at all. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, shouldn't that be like covered under taxes or something? You would think. I mean, the police are definitely like getting plenty of money from people through taxes. There's no doubt. The good news is there is at least one state rep that I'm aware of who this has been brought to his attention. Uh, He's a Free Talk Live listener. I don't know if I should name names, but he is considering putting in some legislation in regards to these ridiculous storage fees. Nice. We may see some some change on that front as well. Is it just a New Hampshire thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it may be happening elsewhere, but I suspect that the chance it'll be repealed anywhere else is fairly low. Well, let's get right into this Reason.com article. It says, A panel of federal appellate judges unanimously ruled Thursday that Detroit's practice of seizing people's cars for months at a time before giving them a chance to contest the seizure violates vehicles' 14th Amendment right to due process. The vehicle's 14th Amendment right to due process? Sorry, the vehicle owner's 14th Amendment right to due process. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they do 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 weird things where they treat they vehicles like cars. Like it'll be if you get something taken in uh, civil asset forfeiture, like say you got a Mercedes Benz taken. Well, they create a case, mm-hmm. and it will be white 2004 Mercedes Benz versus the United States or versus something Wyoming, like that, whatever. Yeah. It, it's just so weird. They treat it like it's a person whenever they seize it. I don't know why. Anyways, that's not what it said, though. It says... That's the legal land for you. It's crazy. Yep. Um, It doesn't say that it violates the vehicle's rights. It says it violates the vehicle owner's 14th Amendment right to due process. Hmm. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, agreeing with a lower U.S. District Court, found that Michigan's Wayne County, which includes Detroit, quote, violated the Constitution when it seized plaintiff's personal vehicles, which were vital to their transportation and livelihoods, with no timely process to contest the seizure, unquote. (laughs) The Sixth Circuit ruled that Wayne County must provide car owners a post-seizure court hearing within two weeks. Maria Miller, a spokesperson for the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office, said the office is currently determining its next steps in light of the decision. I guess they're upset about it. I hope we'll get into, like, why these people's cars are being seized in the first place says the ruling for a victory for the rights of car owners, a sharp rebuke of a greedy local government, and a preview of an important issue that will soon be before the Supreme Court. Okay. As Reasons Billy Binion reported in July, the Supreme Court has taken up a case to decide if property owners are entitled to a probable cause hearing after a seizure and how soon if so. The plaintiffs in the class action lawsuit filed in 2020 by the institute for justice which are really cool people yep they do good work a libertarian leaning public interest law firm included included robert reeves in july of 2019 here we go police seized reeves 
1991 Chevrolet Camaro along with more than $2,000 in cash after stopping him on suspicion of stealing a skid steer from Home Depot. Do you know what that is? No. It's uh, the Wikipedia is uh, linked here because it's not very common, I guess. It's, it looks like a little tiny... I, I didn't know. I just clicked on it. But it looks like a little tiny bulldozer. Okay. Um. So, yeah. That's a skid steer. And so I they think he stole my... a skid steer, so they took his car from him? And $2,000 in cash? Yep. Um. Just on suspicion of it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. For more than six months, Reeves was not arrested <laughs> or charged with a crime. And the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office... Didn't file a notice of intent to forfeit his car, leaving him mm. unable to officially challenge the seizure. Wow. That's some corrupt BS. Mm-hmm. Quote, because of today's ruling, the next person the county targets will have a real opportunity to go to court and challenge the seizure of their car. Unquote. Reeves said in an Institute for Justice press release. And they won't have to wait for months or years to get it. Under civil asset forfeiture laws, police can seize property suspected of being connected to criminal activity, even if the owner is not charged with a crime. Mm. Law enforcement says civil asset forfeiture is a vital tool for disrupting drug trafficking and other organized crime by targeting illicit revenue. Yeah, and then apparently not having to prove anything about that either. Because like they said, this guy just sat for, what was it, six months? Yeah. Where he could do absolutely nothing about this. And they took the dude's car from him. Yep. I mean, he had a 1991 Camaro. Mm-hmm. I mean, that can't be worth that much money. It doesn't and they sound... took his $2,000 for a down payment yeah. if he needed a new, new car anyway. Right. So, I mean, they they took money from a, what appears to be probably a fairly poor individual here and made him even more impoverished by doing this. And they're not sorry the fact that they they ended don't up, have to end up paying him like back no. pay for the uh, days he missed work or anything like that. No, they won't. No, I mean the fact that they've they have had this ruling against them is nice, but it's and it may hurry up the system the next time they do these things. But of course, it doesn't stop them from being able to do this. They're going to continue to be able to take things from people. It's just that now supposedly there'll be a court date sooner rather than later. But again, you know, if you take $2,000 from a guy that's got a 1991 Camaro, how likely is it he's going to be able to go and pay a lawyer $300 an hour to take his case? I mean, this doesn't help them that much is all I'm trying to say, but I am glad to hear it. I'm glad that the Institute for Justice got involved because Mm -hmm. uh, most likely this guy probably couldn't have challenged it himself. Well, they work for for free. Right. Uh, they, They take donations. Yep says, under civil asset forfeiture laws, police can seize property suspected of being connected to criminal activity, even if the owner is not charged with a crime, mm-hmm. which those laws just need to get completely repealed. Um, law enforcement says civil asset forfeiture is a vital tool for disrupting drug... Tra- oh, I already read that. It's a vital tool they have. And mm-hmm. that's totally what they use it for, not for just grabbing a bunch of money. Well, they do that. Yeah, I mean, what you're pointing out is they do that all the time. And when they grab the money, good luck getting it back because then you got to pay more money to fight to get your money back. And I don't know if anybody, uh, I I guess we haven't pointed this out, but some people might not know that um, according to federal law, these local police offices, they don't just use the money to pay back, you know, somebody who was a victim of this person's crime when Mm -hmm. approved. No, like a bunch of it goes to the federal government and 90, I think 90 or 80 percent. 
goes to the local police department that took it. So obviously they have a huge incentive to just go around taking people's cash. Big time. And that's incentivized by the federal government in that case. Yep. It says, however, civil liberties groups like the Institute for Justice say police often target innocent owners or petty offenders, not cartel lords, Mm -hmm. and force them to bear the cost of challenging the seizure in court. Well, yeah. I mean, the cartel lords are actually scary people, right? They have people who are soldiers in the cartel, and they are going to possibly make your life very difficult if you're a cop who's targeting a cartel. You know, they may come at you with some kind of violence. They may kidnap your family members or, you know, kill your dog or something horrifying, right? Uh, your typical street criminal isn't going to have those kind of resources. So, I mean, the cartels... Or a totally innocent person. Are basically... Yeah, right. The cartels are basically untouchable by these people. Wayne County had a particularly aggressive vehicle forfeiture program targeting illicit marijuana, prostitution, drag racing and other public disorder and nuisance offenses. It's typically offered to settle cases and return cars for $900 plus towing and storage fees. Mm, Which could be quite a bit of money. I mean, I don't know what the typical per day storage fee is, but it adds up, especially if you've been there, if your car's been held for a month or two months or six months or whatever while you're waiting for this. I mean, essentially, whatever the amount is, Unless your car is very, very expensive, it's probably not worth getting your car back. Says the alternative was waiting months for the Wayne County Prosecution Office to file a motion for forfeiture in court without one's car. Meaning you don't have your car while you're waiting. Yeah, it's kind of a weird way to say Mm -hmm. it. The Institute for Justice argued that forcing owners through a months-long onerous process... Moths, not months. Sorry. I didn't know you could put months long into one word. I thought, mm-hmm. I was going to say, I've never heard that word. I thought it said moths long. Okay. <laughs> but it's a months long, onerous process to challenge a seizure was an obvious shakedown and violated their 4th, 8th, and 14th Amendment's rights. Do you know what 8th is? Not off the top of my head, no. Yeah, I know 4th is um, unreasonable search and seizure, but I don't know 8th, honestly, off the top of my head. For example, according to the lawsuit, police seized... Twice seized the car of Melissa Ingram, another plaintiff, while her boyfriend was borrowing it. Once for allegedly picking up a prostitute and another time for leaving a house connected to drug activity. Wow. Just leaving a house connected to drug activity. It's crazy. Not being in possession of drugs, not running around yelling drunk or something like that, but just... Yeah, I mean, it really makes you wonder if even the most ardent... Uh, tough on crime person, how they can defend this kind of thing. Like if you're out there and you think, well, we got to do whatever it takes to stop these drug users. Does that include just taking their stuff without any kind of criminal conviction? Like you were saying before, Bonnie, it's one thing, and we don't agree with this because we're against the war on drugs here, but it would be one thing if you actually caught someone with the drugs using the car to transport the drugs and said, all right, now we get to take your car. I'm not saying I agree with that, but at least in the insane world of the war on drugs, that kind of has some sort of logic attached to it. But just to simply say that, well, we saw you at a house where we know drug people hang out, so now we get to take your car from you. I mean, who out there thinks that that is a good thing? Who out there thinks that that is a fair or sort of even within the realm of lawful thing to do to somebody? I I just can't even imagine beyond like some ardent 
cop that's actually getting paid, like you said, 80% based on the things that they take. Uh, I can't imagine like average people saying, yeah, that sounds like a good thing to do. Let's just take people's stuff with no conviction, not even a criminal charge. I think the problem is way closer to the fact that people just don't pay attention to then to the idea that people just think it's okay. Like people just don't know this is going on because it no, hasn't happened to them. Yep. And, and they will be shocked to find out that this sort of stuff goes on yeah. when it finally happens to them. And that's why civil asset forfeiture is one of my favorite types of um, topics to cover on the show. I have another article even um, involving Institute for Justice and civil asset forfeiture. I'll probably save it for another episode. It's a good topic because it's also something that can get some traction bipartisan, meaning that this isn't really a right or a left issue. This is an issue with police being out of control, uh, being able to just take stuff and have absolutely near to zero accountability for it. This particular lawsuit you're talking about is bringing a little bit more ca- accountability to just the Wayne County. County, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's well, just, it's, it's, it's going to the Supreme Court, so yeah, it's going to presumably... Sixth Circuit, yeah. Yeah, if, uh, if the Supreme Court rules in favor as the, the Sixth Circuit did, then because the Sixth Circuit ruled positively, right, yep. in this case... Yeah, so if the Supreme Court, I guess, upholds their ruling, then that'll be a good thing. Although, again, it won't stop civil asset forfeiture. Says Stephanie Wilson, the third plaintiff in the Institute for Justice suit, alleged that Detroit police seized two of her cars over a six-month period because she gave rides to her daughter's father, whom police suspected of drug activity, although wow. no drugs or guns were found in either instance. Jeez. That's crazy. So she was like, well, at least I have my second car. And then they took it, too. I can't imagine that. In the first case, she lost her car after missing a filing deadline. Mm. Wow. She only got her second car back after waiting two years for a court hearing. Well, I mean, you know how it is with all these court hearings and deadlines. You've got a court hearing coming up tomorrow yeah, that I you didn't it. even know about. It was on my calendar, though, so we're not going to miss it. But you didn't know. I mean, and it's you don't even have like, you know, three kids or whatever running around yeah. like some of these people probably do. Just imagine trying to keep track of all that stuff. And maybe she wanted to re- represent herself because she like didn't like her public defender or something. I mean, who knows why she was doing that? Because you'd think that she'd have a public defender. Mm, I don't think you get public defenders on civil cases. Oh, hmm. well, that's yeah, that's something that you only get for a criminal matter. It's kind of messed up that she so doesn't she's get just a lawyer. up s creek without a paddle in this case she has no cars how's she gonna get there it's hard to even know what you're supposed to file where you're supposed to go to file it or when you're supposed to file it because it's not like when you go to any sort of court they just start giving you instructions like don't no, they, to file they specifically tell you we can't give you legal advice if yeah. you ask them a question about what to do or when to do it uh the general answer is we can't tell you that you have to hire an attorney you gotta hire one of our people and it's really messed up because she probably didn't have that money. I mean, she's driving around her baby daddy who's suspected of drug activity. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, jumping to conclusions about her. But I'm glad that IJ took the case. It says, after reviewing the plaintiff's, t- plaintiff's cases, the panel of Sixth Circuit judges could only agree that a perverse profit incentive, not crime fighting, was driving Wayne County's asset forfeiture program. 
Quote, although Wayne County ostensibly seized the vehicles because of reasons related to health, safety, and or drugs, the record suggests otherwise, that the county seized the vehicles in order to obtain proceeds from fees. This is what the court... Unquote. This is from a quote from the court ruling. The court wrote. Okay. Hmm. Quote, if Wilson's vehicle had a dangerous connection with drugs, it is unclear why the county promptly released the vehicle after a payment of $1,355. And if Ingram's Mm. vehicle was a public nuisance, the county's willingness to release the vehicle for $1,800 suggests it is more interested in the money than Mm. in redeeming a public nuisance, unquote. Wow. Uh, That's that's quite a rebuke from the court. Right. And it's just like, why doesn't the court realize or, or why don't... If this happens, maybe other courts, it'll be precedent and other courts can realize that this whole practice of civil asset forfeiture is just perversely incentivized. Yeah, there's a weird thing about court appeals, as I understand it. When you appeal something, you know, you have to appeal on specific questions of law, as I understand it. Again, if you're an attorney, feel free to call in to clarify this. Uh, 603-283-6160. But you have to you have to have a specific error of law that a judge made prior to you or some sort of question on on the law that you're appealing. And you generally, you know, if it's a specific case about like what we're talking about here where people are having their cars stolen, you're appealing on certain points. You're not generally appealing on the whole thing. Like you're not appealing on the entirety of the concept of civil asset forfeiture. So, like, you're generally not asking that question, and even if you did sort of bring that up in the appeal, the judges aren't obligated to answer every question on your appeal. They can just simply answer one of them, use that as the reason to overturn the previous court's ruling, and be done with it. So, it's very hard to get a judge to do something like what you're talking about, which is to overturn an entire, like, established legal procedure. It's just not as likely to happen through the courts as it would be to actually get legislatures to overturn civil asset forfeiture. That's where it started. That's likely the way it's going to have to end. Hmm. Well, that's really messed up. If if a judge can say something like that about this county's practice of it, mm-hmm. and it goes on in like it goes on all everywhere. over the United States, yeah. then I wish that they could do something about it. What do you think? Have you ever had... Uh, $1,600 stolen from you to get your car back from thugs? Or were there th- those thugs called cops? Mm-hmm. 603-283-6160. That's the number to call in. It's Free Talk Live. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by that treasury. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first, nearly a decade ago. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya Protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. 
Thanks to the Dash Dow for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. Talk Live, talk radio that you control, 603-283-6160. That's the phone number to call to get on the air with us and bring up whatever is on your mind, 603-283-6160. And with you in the studio tonight, it's me, Bonnie. It's Ian. And so far, we've just been talking about this Reason article, um, this article from Reason.com, talking about civil asset forfeiture and what a court did to, you know, help out some people who are getting their cars stolen from them in the process of civil asset forfeiture. It's not as strong as it could be. It doesn't just, you know, get rid of civil asset forfeiture or anything like that. But it gives them, it gives people who are victims of this practice the ability to have some kind of way out, like request their court date sooner. Um, because in Wayne County, Michigan, the police were taking people's cars for like up to six months and not offering them even a court date. So they couldn't even appeal it or anything. They couldn't, uh, you know, say this isn't right. I need my car back at all. Yeah. Which is a really tough thing to have to deal with. I mean, it's, it's difficult for anybody in any economic circumstance to have to go through the embarrassment of having the police pull you over and then literally stealing your car out from under you, which is how a lot of this stuff happens. They just pull somebody over and then they don't arrest them. They take their car and leave you know leave them on the side of the road. Um, I always remembered of the story I heard in Florida in Manatee County where the sheriff there, who is sort of notoriously a corrupt sheriff, was having his drug squad go around and pull people over and People they didn't like, people they wanted to target, people that had a nice car, whatever they, you know, reason was uh, that they wanted to go after. Usually, it's going to be poorer people because they know that they don't, they can't afford attorneys. And you could tell someone's really poor if they're driving around with a, a really beater. crappy car. Yeah. So they would pull those people over and they would tell them, "Look, uh, we're going to take this from you." Especially if they like actually did find some marijuana or something like that. Like, we're going to take your car from you. We'll let you off of the charges this time. Now, all you have to do is just sign this piece of paper here that allows us to take the car from you. And so it was like an under duress threat where they, you know, essentially, quote unquote, consented to having their car taken from them. And in this case, this wouldn't have been the same thing as civil asset forfeiture, but it's sort of similar. It's just using the power of the, the police and their intimidation to be able to just simply take things from from people, and that's that was what was going on there allegedly. These are the stories that uh, that I heard was happening. This is how these people who sign up to become cops are making their money. They're going around in uh, scaring people mm-hmm. with their authority and taking things from them. They're not going around making you safer, any no. safer than you would be if. They got out of the way and let you hire your own security. Right. I mean, what is the difference? One of the examples in this case, there were three different def- or uh, three different plaintiffs in this case against Wayne County, which is, again, the Detroit area, I believe, of 
Yeah, but Michigan. It says Detroit's included. Yeah. So these three people, one of them was allegedly, but they never arrested her for this. They never proved this claim. She was allegedly giving rides to her ex-husband or boyfriend or something Just like that. Just her baby's daddy. Who was allegedly a drug dealer. So the suggestion there... He was sus- there, suspected of being a drug dealer. It's not even like, oh, he was right. convicted before. Well, let's just say that he was a drug dealer. The The idea that you should be facing some sort of criminal penalty for simply taking him from point A to point B, she doesn't... They didn't prove that she knew he was selling drugs. They have no evidence of this. If they did, they would have brought a, a criminal case against her, but they didn't have that. So they Crazy. just took her car, but... Does that mean that you get to take, let's say this guy, you know, she's got her car taken from her at this point. So that's out of the, that's out of commission. He's still got to go wherever he's got to go. So he might get on like the county bus. Well, obviously they're not going to take the county bus, yeah. right? What if he calls an Uber? What if he calls a cab company and they take him from point A to point B? And what if at point B he sells drugs to somebody and then calls Uber and takes the cab back you know, to to wherever it is he was he was. Yeah, from. it's obviously not important that the driver know that he's a drug dealer. Well, yeah, and in fact, the drivers I'm sure would prefer to not know that. Uh, no, but, I'm saying it's not important to the cops. Well, that's what I'm saying. Can they take the Ubers too? I mean, under this under this principle that you can just take stuff from anybody that helps somebody who's doing a nefarious deed or whatever. And again, I think drug dealing should be legal, but it's not. Is it just the wife? You know, or the uh, just the ex-wife who can be targeted? It sounds to me like they can go after absolutely anybody that they want to, regardless of whether they knew or not what was going on, because they didn't bring any criminal charges. So all they got to do is follow around a drug dealer all day, and if he takes any Ubers, just go ahead and take their cars from them. It's ridiculous. But it's that's really what ridiculous. this that's what is actually going on, or could be going on. And most people would not believe that that's making you any safer, making them any safer in their county. And the courts agreed with that. They uh, really put out quite a banger when they said that um, it's obvious that uh, they said if Ingram, I think that was the lady with the uh, boyfriend. Well, she was the baby mama of that guy. If Ingram's vehicle was a public nuisance, the county's willingness to release the vehicle for $1,800 suggests it was more interested in the money than in redeeming a public nuisance. Right. I mean, if he's a successful drug dealer, then he should have that money, right? Like, I mean, if you, I guess there's the drug dealers that just snort all their profits. There's the type of, there's like two, two kinds of drug dealers, right? Like there's the kind that doesn't snort their profits and then there's the kind that does so i guess if he was the kind that's using all of his profits to put in his veins or whatever then he probably doesn't have eighteen dollars eighteen hundred dollars but if he was a drug dealer who was like doing a good job then he should have two thousand dollars sitting around that he could easily bail the car out with that is a great point that the court made is that this is clearly transparently all about money and has absolutely nothing to do with catching criminals or whatever it goes on, it says, and as Reason has previously reported, this was happening at scale. What does that mean? Uh, that means it was going on much larger than the three people that hmm. they're talking about here. This is just, these are the cases that the Institute for Justice chose among God knows how many potential cases that they could take to court. So this is happening not just at scale in Wayne County, but I think what they mean is it's happening much further out than that. Well, actually, I think it means that in Wayne County, even mm-hmm. it says Wayne County seized more than 2,600 vehicles between 2017 and 2019. 
So in two years... That's more than a car a day. That's, yeah, way more than a car a day. That's crazy. <laughs> that's like three or four cars a day. Oh my gosh. It, so 2,600 vehicles God. between 2017 and 2019 and raked in more than $1.2 million in wow. asset forfeiture revenues, mm. which means like what they actually get, not just everything mm-hmm. they took, right? Revenue? Yeah, I presume that means that's probably an aggregate of you know the amount of money that they got from people who wanted their cars back, who paid the ransom. And then the people who couldn't afford to pay the ransom, they sold the cars. So they probably auctioned off those cars and whatever that revenue was. And that's according to records obtained by the Mackinac Center for Public Policy, a free market Michigan think tank. Hmm. Never heard of them. Sounds kind of familiar, but... Of those seizures, 473 were not accompanied by a criminal conviction. Oh, And in 438 of those cases, no one was even charged with a crime. Wow. In 10 cases, the cars were seized under suspicion of a drug violation, even though the records say police didn't find any drugs. Mm. The Institute for Justice was not alone in challenging the program. In 2018, Stephen Nichols filed a class action lawsuit after waiting more than three years for a court hearing to challenge the seizure of his car. That same year, Crystal Sisson... Three years? Yes. Even just waiting for a hearing. Yep. And that was in 2018, so it's not like it was, oh, it was 2020 and mm-hmm. everything got messed up and we had to wait long times for court nope, hearings. just the courts. That same year, 2018, Crystal Sisson filed a civil rights lawsuit after Wayne County Sheriff's deputy seized her 2015 Kia Soul because she allegedly possessed $10 worth of marijuana. Wow. That's so insane. I hate Kia Souls. I can't think of what it looks like, but... It's, like, really square. Oh, uh, uh, one of the boxy ones. Okay, yeah. They're usually, like, ki- a kiwi green. Mm-hmm. Um, That's insane, though. I mean, I I, uh, I don't re- remember hearing about that happening up here. Like, you would think we would have heard something about that here in New Hampshire if cops were just snatching cars from people on a simple marijuana arrest, and I've never heard about that. Maybe it does happen. It doesn't Michigan have... Legal weed, or am I they just do thinking? now? I don't know if they did in whatever year it was that okay. they're referring to. It's outrageous. It says, in a scathing concurring opinion, U.S. Circuit Judge Amul Thapar wrote that Wayne County's scheme is, quote, simply a money making venture, one most often used to extort money from those who can least afford it. Absolutely. Unquote. There's no doubt that's who this is being targeted against. Yeah, because like Kissels. If you've got a. car. I mean, $30,000 is getting more pretty typical. But uh, if you got a $60,000 car, you are more likely to have an attorney. And you can call that attorney, and they're going to help you with this stuff. Whereas if you go after people with beat up cars, you go after people with cars that are over, you know, 15 or 20 years old, you're much more likely to encounter people who have absolutely near to zero resources. They just want this thing to be over. They want to be able to go back to work because they're trying to get the bills paid. And, of course, now it's harder than ever with uh, inflation being what it is. It says, after summarizing the experiences of Reeves, Ingram, and Wilson, the par asked, does this sound like a legitimate way of cleaning up Wayne County, or does it sound like a money-making scheme that preys on those least able to fight it? 
To ask the question is to answer it. Well, I mean, the crazy thing is that what this judge is hitting on here, and he's absolutely right about this, is that's what the entirety of the criminal justice, quote unquote, system is for the most part. I mean, every now and then they go after a real criminal who's like, you know, murdering or raping or something like that. But if you go and you sit in a Wayne County uh, courtroom on an arraignment date or any county, wherever you happen to live, if you've never done it, go ahead. Try this out and tell me that I'm wrong. That's so true. You go in and sit. Let me make the statement here. You go in. To any arraignment, it's usually in the morning. I don't know what they do in your area, but usually it's you know bright and early. Yeah, 8, 9 a.m., something like that. Find out when your local arraignment is. Go in there, and you sit there for however long it takes to go through that whole room of people. It's going to be a whole room full of people. It's that way here in Keene, New Hampshire. Having one of the worst days of their life, and looking we, really upset. Yeah, and this is a town of 20,000 people, okay? We're in a county of about 70,000. So you go into a place like Wayne County, it's going to be packed. I mean, this is a big city, right? They probably have 10 different arraignments going on at once. Just pick one, and you go in there, and you watch, and you see if you find any murderers or any rapists uh, who are going to be arraigned. First of all, if you're at a district court or something like that, probably those cases are going to get escalated to like a superior court, some higher level court for felony prosecutions. What you're going to be seeing is things like open container, uh, possession of drugs, somebody is driving a car you know, too fast or whatever. We're talking about it's going to be victimless crime after victimless crime. That is what this entire quote-unquote justice system is based off of. And what you're going to see happen at those arraignments is 99% of the people in there are going to take a plea deal. They are going to get on to a payment plan. The judge is going to assess them a multi-hundred or multi-thousand dollar fine. And, of course, they are not going to be able to pay it right then. Most of them, they're going to get on a payment plan where they're going to pay extra here in New Hampshire. It's, I think, 20% on top of the already ridiculous fine that they get. They have to pay 20% on top. Uh, to get it spread out over a six-month period or whatever. And they're just going to ring the cash register after ringing the cash register after ringing the cash register and and try to keep track of the thousands, tens of thousands of dollars that that one courtroom rakes in in a three-hour window between nine and you know noon in the morning. That's what you. That's what the so-called justice system is. And you count how many cases there are where there's an actual victim. Every now and then you'll see one. It might be like somebody stole something from Walmart or, you know, petty theft or something like that. But for the most part, I guarantee you, you're going to see victimless crimes. Yep. I I just wish more people would do it. I I hadn't even thought of like advocating for people to go do that because I never went and just sat in on on a random day before I moved to Keene. But I've had so many friends that were getting, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, run through the system that I would go to their arraignments and now obviously my own and um, you have to sit through a lot. And if people did that, they would start to put this picture together and notice who is actually the, you know, bully in this situation and, you know, start being able to make their own cho- or decisions about what's going on. Because really, whenever people talk about, like, the court system with me, it always seems like they're completely coming from a place of being completely clueless. They're just talking about what they assume goes on. Oh, yeah. They they got taught something in government high school about the courts being a check on the other system or the, you know, the other branches and the police are out there doing God's work and 
we love the thin blue line and they're going after bad guys. I mean, people have this total delusion about the so-called justice system. And the delusion is based on the idea that they're actually going after real criminals and they're not. Yep. That's not to say that they don't on occasion. Every now and then they actually do and good for them. You know, I will, uh, if they're actually investigating a real crime, I have no problem that assisting. The, hmm? That just sounds too hard for them. Oh, well, every now and then they do. Um, you know, I will assist the, the police in that. So that's what happened in the Crypto 6 case, where when it was brought to my attention that there was something going on with potential scams, I helped those uh, those police officers who brought that to my attention because I don't want to see anybody, you know, get scammed or get taken advantage of. But I feel like cops don't usually do that unless it's, uh, you know, beneficial to them, like help them in their, some kind of case because that's hard. It's easy to just go down the side of the road and um, pick poor people and take their cars from them. Yeah, which or sounds like that's exactly what they were doing in Wayne County. Speeding tickets, whatever. It says, going on with the Reason.com article, it says, settlement agreements like the ones in Wayne County are not unusual, however... Before Albuquerque ended its asset forfeiture program, hmm. it would force owners, even innocent owners, to pay $850 to recover their cars. Wow. In Albuquerque, resident Arlene Harjo's, Harjo's case, the city offered to return her car for $4,000 after her son was arrested for drunk driving. So wow. he was driving she her car. She wasn't even there. <laughs> wow. Hey, $4,000. I wonder how long they held on to it for prior to that. The Institute for Justice's lawsuit will now head back to the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Michigan for further proceedings on its Fourth Amendment claims. Hmm. The Wayne County forfeiture machine takes in over 1,000 cars every year, Institute for Justice attorney Kirby Thomas West said. Now Detroit car owners can at least rest assured that they will have a speedy opportunity to challenge a seizure when they find themselves victims of this forfeiture machine. Hmm. That's all they get. I mean, it's not ending the procedure. It's not ending the uh, the seizing of these cars. It's not ending the nightmare that these people are going through. But it's going to shorten the length, potentially, of the nightmare. Now, it's only going to be two weeks until you get a hearing. And what that actually means, I don't know, right? I, like, does that mean that you have the hearing and then the judge makes a decision and then you get your car back within a week? Or is it going to be that you have the hearing, but then it takes another five months to get the car back? Like, what is the reality that these people are going to actually have to deal with? Because in some cases, it's like, okay, well, the judge has ruled X. Well, now the police department's not doing what they're supposed to do. What do you do then? You got to go back in front of the judge and say, judge, the police department, you said I'm supposed to get my car back. It's now been four weeks because, well, you know, it takes a few weeks to get a court hearing, right? It's now been four weeks. I still haven't gotten the car back. And you please order the police to give this. And of course, they all work on the same side. So, yeah. And then the judge is going to say, oh, you naughty police, I'm ordering you and you have two more weeks to give. Right. Mm -hmm. So, like, how long does this actually take? What's the realistic? How, how much is this actually going to help people? I'm not saying right. it's not good. It's good news, but it's just like it's. This is nothing more than like the nibbling around the edges of civil asset forfeiture. This has done absolutely nothing to stop people uh, from getting their cars taken from them for ridiculous nonsense reasons. And I don't know about you or most of the listeners, but most of my life, if my car was taken away from me for even two weeks, it would have been catastrophic. It's devastating. 
catastrophic. Like, especially when I was an Uber Eats driver. Right. That was your, that was literally your livelihood. I mean, you can't do that on the city bus. No. You could do it on a bike, but not in San Antonio easily. Yeah. Um, well, so plus yeah. you're not going to get anywhere quickly on a bike. And so, you know, food's going to be cold and that sort of thing. So it'd be really tough. Yeah. I didn't have a bike. Yep. If they took my car, I wouldn't have money to get a bike. Yep. Um, yeah. So I just really feel, feel bad for people that this is happening to them. And I just think all police are bastards. That's all I have to say about that. Well, I mean, that's all not, them. I get, I get where you're coming from on that. I just don't know if I necessarily agree. I think some are worse than others. And I think that there are some uh, police out there who they got into it for the right reasons. They, they that doesn't really make them a good that, person. Well, they thought that they were going to be stopping criminals. Maybe from I got doing... into the mafia for a good reason. <laughs> but after a few days of looking around and seeing that, like, oh, this guy just takes orders from the boss to, like, kill people. And this mm-hmm. other guy just uh, goes to businesses and tells them to pay up. And, and that's what they're asking me to do you realize I got to get out of this or you're a bad person. Yeah. I mean, I see where you're coming from on that. Uh, but I, I, I just, I want to believe that there's some people who are deluded to the point where they think they can change the system from within. There are those people who think that even though it seems to be a ridiculous viewpoint to have because so how you're not long going do you to go on continuing to do very bad things to people while thinking you're going to change things from the inside and it make not make you a bad person, Ian. Well, what if, I mean, we've had cops call the show over the years who have given examples of how they look the other way about certain things, right? So they pull somebody over, there's a joint in the ashtray, it's a state in which marijuana is illegal. So they're a good and- person because they didn't harm them more than they were already harming them? <laughs> they took their time, even if just it. pulling them over, yeah. and then they took their money, most likely, by giving them tickets. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, look, we, you are coming in from a very, very uh, principled perspective here, Bonnie, and I, means I, definitely, <laughs> I definitely appreciate it. Um, and yeah, obviously, I don't support police pulling people over for, you know, victimless crimes, which is the vast majority of reasons police pull somebody over. Every now and then, you know, they do pull somebody over who's who potentially could create a victim, right? I mean, yeah, but they, you know, these people are grown adults. They know that their job of pulling over somebody who's drunk driving, getting a drunk driver off the road, mm-hmm. could be done in a way that doesn't steal from people. Like they're that at the very, very least, even if everything they've ever done as a cop is good, and they have no clue that anything else is bad is going on, they have accepted a job that requires other people to be stolen from for them to get their paycheck. What if They're there was people. a cop that like pulled somebody over who was drunk and got gave him a ride home? That would be a good towed, thing that a bad person his, did once. And towed his car to his house instead of to a tow yard. Would that make him a good person because he did one good thing? Okay, but that's you're saying that would be okay, right? No, it like would be would not be okay thing? because on during that time that he did all that stuff, mm-hmm. he was getting paid from theft. Well, yeah, there is that. So, yeah, that's always happening. So, at all times, but they're bad. The idea, Bonnie, that you're going to convince every cop to quit their jobs because they're worried about where their paycheck came from is completely unrealistic. It doesn't right? mean that it changes the reality of what we're discussing. I get it. I get it. I'm not, but- I don't just talk about things in order to convince people to do things mm-hmm. i'm not a liar I get, I get what you're saying but that's not to say that it isn't valuable to have people who have a more freedom oriented mindset in these positions i mean here's an example we have a regular caller to the show uh david hathaway who's a sheriff in 
Santa Cruz County, Arizona, which is a border county. It's an elected position, um, but obviously that that position is getting paid through tax dollars. Um, he's done some really good pro-freedom things in there, like pushing back against the federal government and their immigration nonsense and their drug war. He shut down the drug war task force that the sheriffs had in their department. You already know my opinion on people who get into things in order to get uh, make the government smaller and smaller. Like a pol- I'm not saying Matt Sanchez also is a bad person because he's a politician because he got in there and he's doing every effort to actually get rid of the thing. I, and I suspect that it's similar with David Hathaway, but do I think that he was being a good person when he was being a DEA agent, even if he like looked the other way at some drugs or anything like that? I get what you're saying, but... I don't think my dad was being a good person the whole time he was being a, a medic. I don't think my little brother is the whole time he's being an Air Force guy. They, they can't just go work for public or for private uh, companies saving people? Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. Eleutheromania, the insatiable desire for freedom. It's the new three song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. talk radio that you control 603-283-6160 is the phone number for you to call to get on the air with us with whatever's on your mind 603-283-6160 and in the studio with you tonight it's me bonnie it's ian and i'd like to tell you about dash this hour of dash or sorry this hour of free talk live is brought to you by dash digital cash Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Tired of the ever-inflating U.S. dollar? You can live your life on Dash instead with some handy websites. BitRefill.com has been accepting Dash for years and has a ton of big-name retailers and brands including grocers, gas stations, phone refills, Amazon, and even prepaid MasterCards. And you've used BitRefill, have you not? Yes, I love BitRefill. I've used it for restaurants, like online clothing stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't even have to be online, but I live in Keene. So I usually order clothes. Sorry. Order clothes online. I smacked my microphone just now. Mm-hmm. Um, and Very I've handy. ordered things like furniture there. Mm-hmm. Plus, many of their gift cards are available at a discount. What about paying your bills? Spritzfinance.com can do nope, that. that's not what it is. Oh, sorry. Spritz.finance. Mm-hmm. Can do that, and they can send dollars to your bank account in case you still need those for some reason. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. 
Visit Dash.org to learn more about Dash. Dash Dash.org. Indeed. So in the last segment, we were talking about civil asset forfeiture. Cops taking cars and money from people just on a suspicion that they committed a crime or have committed a crime. Not any type of proof necessary. No arrest. No charges. And... Basically, the judges of the Sixth Circuit Court over where Detroit is um, have decided that the cops need to at least give people the opportunity to challenge it. So they need to be quicker with giving them hearings. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, slight good news. Yeah, they moved it up from an unlimited amount of time to apparently two weeks. But this is an open phones call in radio show. So I'm going to go to you guys' calls and thoughts. Jet, you're on the air with us. Jet. What's on your yeah, mind? you were talking about you were talking about cops, and I uh, I have a certain feeling about that. Now, I understand that my father was a police detective, and my first stint in the military, I was actually part of the Algeria uh, police. But um, my perspective on that is that uh, these individuals have either a character behavior disorder of some sort that allows them to be really nice and friendly on the one side, but if under certain circumstances, they could be like a mad dog. Yep. I know exactly uh, what it is too. Um, It's the idea of the fact that they believe that there is such thing as human authority over another. So they have, and I've noticed this in my own dad who I love, like I have the best dad ever, but I've noticed this in my own dad that he can flip back and forth from being, well, he just is a nice person. He's a really nice person. Everybody likes him. Like, he's always super popular. He's really social. And the thing is, it's because he has this belief in human authority from being in the military. So he believes that there are people above him that he should be subservient to. And then there are people below him that he should be able to yell at. I've watched my own dad, who I've never seen act like this in my life, just get out of the car and go and yell at somebody on a military base like I wasn't expecting that at all mm-hmm. just because he was mad because the guy was like talking on the phone while walking on the base, which you're not supposed to do. And it was like a underling soldier. And it's just this personality disorder that develops when you believe, Oh, there are people that can tell me what to do. So I got to act subservient. But because of that, I have people under me that I can control. And that's what cops right. believe in too. Hierarchy. Well, I wonder how old that, um, that adage is that power corrupts. I mean, how old, that's an old that? one. When did it... I don't know. I'll look it up for you. Wasn't it Adam um, Weishaupt or something? Uh, mm. Or um... it's probably been said by a bunch of different people over time. Francis Bacon, something yeah. like that. I can't remember now. In in either event, um, you know my feeling also about using the term government. I've I listened to you pretty much as much as I can, and uh, I've got to say that uh, there are only people, bad people, people who you know have this behavior, character behavior disorder, people who somehow just are influenced by evil forces, whatever you want to think about it. But those are the only people, it seems, that, well, primarily. There are, I know there are a few small, very small number of people who actually are in it for someone else's good for a hundred times. But, but the whole concept of this thing we call government is just bogus. Mm-hmm. Well, it is just human beings using the threat of violence over other human beings. 
and then covering it up with all this pomp and circumstance of badges and uniforms and cars and constitutions. Yeah, well, that, isn't that what I'm saying? That to believe that you you are a part of this realm, to believe that you have these powers, there's something awfully wrong with your thinking. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's what I had today. Well, here is the answer to your question. Uh, the quote that you guys are referring to is, power tends to corrupt and absolute, absolute power. power corrupts absolutely. It is Lord Acton oh. uh, who said that. And I tried he, to memorize that once. That's why the word Adam was the only thing coming to my mind. He was from the, it looks like the parliament over in the UK and served in parliament in the 1860s. So sometime in the 1800s was when that one came about. So can I ask you, Jet? Um, was your dad to you just a bad person? Was he a bad person altogether? Or was he usually being a pretty good person, but he could do bad things? Well, I tend to want to think that he was he was a good guy, but I have to know that uh, in that profession, you've got to be that way. Now, for the most part, he was a tough he was a tough guy. Um, he was in World War One and World War Two, and a policeman in between. Mm-hmm. So. He had a lot of that indoctrination and a lot of uh, experience, I guess, um, ruling over other people. Now, as far as his home life, um, yeah, he was pretty tough at home. I mean, he wasn't as bad as some, but uh, pretty strict. And uh, you gotta you gotta watch it what you said and, and what you did. Otherwise, you'd be in for a world of hurt. Okay, well, thank you so much for answering, Thanks, and Jet. thank you for your call, Jet. I'm going to try to remember throughout the show to say governmentless and say thugs and lunatics and killers and gang members more. So thanks. Um, going on, we have more callers on the line holding, so I'm going to go to an anonymous caller. You're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Yeah, so I had a question regarding something I believe I heard before you guys went to commercial. You were talking about morality, and uh, you said your father was a medic, or did I mishear that? Yeah, he was a medic in the army. Oh, okay. I was con- I was confused as to whether or not you had meant an EMT or not. And we were talking about oh. the, we were talking about the. Well, you guys were talking about the morality of being in a position. You have the belief that all police officers are bad. Am I correct in assuming that, or am I being presumptuous? That is Bonnie's uh, belief. I did not say that. Yeah, they're being okay. bad people while they're doing those jobs. That's not, not no. to say they can't change. Yes, that's what my belief is. Now, do you believe your father was a bad person for being a medic in the army? Uh, yeah, I think he was being a bad person the whole time he was doing that. Can you elaborate on why you think that? Because he knew that 9-11 wasn't what they said that it was, and he went to Iraq anyway. In response to 9-11? Well, now, you he, saying he knew, what did he know about 9-11? He knew that they were lying about the official story and that these people weren't, you know, uh, guilty of killing people on 9-11 and he was just going over there assisting. No, he wasn't shooting people, but he was assisting in, uh, you know, destroying somebody else's country. 
Now, for an individual that, let's assume that what you're saying is correct, right, that they were lying about 9-11. Now, removing that, do you think an individual who did have the belief set that there were terrorists attacking the United States and they wanted to go and fight for their country? Because I had relatives who were in high school at the time who immediately enlisted uh, as soon as 9-11 had happened because they believed America was under attack. Now, do you believe individuals that go to defend their nation at a point like that are bad people? Yes, because your question is flawed already you asked me if those types of people will be wrong for going to defend their nation that's not what the word defend means defense means i am in immediate threat and i'm going to take up arms or do whatever to stop the threat from hurting me or my friends and family or just a random person on the street you see who's about to get um harmed it doesn't mean that a city i mean a um, building was bombed or you know ran into in New York City so a couple years later you're going to go into the country of origin of some of the flyers well I don't think they were Iraqis but whatever yep. it, we're going to go into the Middle East because those people were Muslims and kill a bunch of other random people or take over their country it, that is not defense that's not what that that's word means true. So the argument would be, so the reason for invading Iraq, to my understanding, was because they believed that Iraq had supported um, al-Qaeda, at least to some degree. And there was lies said, about weapons of mass destruction and all kinds of well, well, sure. nonsense. Well, sure, but I, I'm trying to get to the morality standpoint of it. Now, if these individuals had come from Iraq, and we had a good understanding that they did, and they had already knocked buildings into the ground and destroyed the Pentagon and killed people in uh, Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and they do you died. not think it would be... Do you not think it would be justified to take military action against the nation who posed the threat? Absolutely I do not, not think that's justified. No, no, there's no justification I, I for that. It. And I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate on it because there's a difference between the individuals who committed a crime, which is what you're describing is a, a criminal act, uh, and the people of a quote unquote nation, which is nothing more than, uh, you know, a concept. These are just people who have absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with the crime that was committed. The people who committed that crime uh, paid for it instantly in that they perished. And so if you can identify other individuals who were involved in helping those people somehow commit those acts, then it would be one thing to say persecute those individuals, but to go and drop bombs and kill people in uh, some other plot of land, I agree with Bonnie, is not defense in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Well, one one last question, because I'm again, I'm just trying to prove sure. the morality yeah. standpoint of it. So if for example, Iraq, Iran, any country on this planet, say their, uh, their states, their governments, were supporting this kind of thing and were funding individuals to come over here and commit acts of terrorism. Would you think it would be a good idea at that point to take action against that state, believing that they were responsible for these actions? No. I think it would be okay to take action against the politician who was doing something like that, but just the random people... Well, here's the reason why it's not sense. okay, because the military is funded through violence. And so even if you could make a, a justification for targeting specific individual politicians and other, you know, other uh, places on Earth with the military, you're still funding that military action by using the threat of violence against peaceful people here in the United States well, say who may not agree was... with warmongering actions. But let's say that it wasn't uh, tax funded. Let's just say that there was, was mercenaries. If, if is it okay for us to go, uh, you know, quote unquote, defend ourselves in a situation where like the government is straight up like, yeah, we're sending people over there, we're killing innocent Americans. I think it's okay to um, for people to defend. Like, I think the number one thing you should do is like, you know, put up more defense in your you know 
cities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, I think it's okay to kill the government, the politician that's doing that. Well, if you want to do that with Innocent your own people money, just because they happen to live in that town. But it, yeah, that's the thing. It doesn't happen like that. Yeah, so if you wanted we're to just go talking hire, theoretically. If you wanted to hire mercenaries to go after these politicians you're talking about and you know voluntarily fund that, that's on you. Then at least I can stay keep my hands clean because I don't believe that violence solves problems. Well, thank you so much for your call. Um, it brought us some interesting yeah, good questions. questions. Good questions. I appreciate that. And uh, at first I thought he was going to, you know, get all rude or something, but no, he really was, didn't seem to fine, at all. Fine call. Good call. Good questions. We also have Chuck from Washington. You're on uh, Free Talk Live, Chuck. What's on your mind? Yeah, I, I called uh, originally <clears throat> when I dialed the number here. I, I, I was thinking about some things about my observations made about policing in America, but uh, your last anonymous caller made me think about some things about uh, the uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom and 9-11 and all these things. I just want to remind people that uh, there, there was nobody involved in the 9-11 hijacking that was from Iraq. That's true. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I couldn't remember. And there are Saudi Arabian nationals mm-hmm. that were involved in that. Uh, and it had to do with a terrorist network called Al-Qaeda. You might want to look at that, uh, uh, America. Uh, remember that name? Yeah, you remember, anyway, yeah. You, you know the one they they funded? <laughs> Back in the day, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. Well, I mean, Al Qaeda is the the it means the list. That's the actual translation. Hmm. And this is uh, Osama bin Laden and his associates' uh, way of keeping track of all the people, the jihadis that fought against the Russians in Afghanistan. So when they would receive medical treatment and everything like that, they would write their name down on a list, and that's how what became Al Qaeda. Wow. They would. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, I didn't know that yeah. background either. So um, the policing in America would like diff- it's really different depending on where you're at. If you're in Alabama or like a poor area, I I, th- I feel like there's a lot more gangsterism at in play in the policing that uh, in the policing um, in those communities. Yeah, I could uh, agree with that. My cousin's going you know, through some crazy stuff right now in Alabama. And has in the past, yeah. Was was this person uh, involved in that city that has like uh, a bunch of uh, um, tra- traffic checkpoints that tries to hook people up? Uh, I don't know. It's Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I probably shouldn't get into her situation. But... Tr- hold on. What is the no, city no, that no, you're no. talking about? They try to I don't hook know. people up? I, well, that's it's in, a, it's in one of these poverty-stricken areas of Alabama, and I've... <clears throat> seen it in Missouri, too, the DUI checkpoints along I-44 and all this stuff, you know. I mean, real questionable police actions. And it, it would all depend on what the local attorneys want to, like, opine on and uh, what the sheriff is doing and what the – it's really kind of kind of shady. I mean, it really is. Well, there's and a ton the only... of shady stuff that uh, that goes on <laughs> out there. And, you know, the reason why it happens in poor neighborhoods is because they know that they can get away with it in those places because they don't have the resources yeah. they need to hire attorneys to uh, defend themselves. I mean, that's yeah. that's happening all across the United States and probably in other countries as well. Well, so if it's happening in one city in Alabama, there's probably a couple of different cities that are hap- that tap this kind of practices, you know, the uh, w- it's like a police. They show up and sometimes not even a uniform. You know, they they yeah. have uh, these guys that'll just show up and say, "Yeah, we're with the police," and then mm-hmm. uh, come up with some uh, accusations or some suspicions about uh, criminal activity, and then 
hook you up, uh, take your car like you were getting into earlier. Okay, I was wondering uh, what you just, meant when you said hook you up. By that, do you mean like put oh, you yeah. on hooks and they got no, you? No, like hook you up with uh, hook you up with a problem in the Charges. criminal justice system. Okay, gotcha, yes. gotcha. Yeah. 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 Now this isn't just some sort of you know small town thing or whatever. This goes on all across the country, dude. The thing you're describing is common. I mean, this yeah, isn't, El Paso has this a is typical. Um, you know, a checkpoint thing you have to drive through. I've been through it many times. Oh, and, and they have DUI checkpoints all over the place. Oh, they, just DUI? Uh, oh, I they, thought you meant immigration. If you're talking about immigration, that is a whole other well, story. But Those uh, are really here, bad. Yeah. Out here on the West Coast, you don't really see that too much because of the politics of everything. You don't uh, see DUI you checkpoints, it, you mean? No, no, not at all. Hmm. Uh, well, you might I, get it. You might have one of these things where you get into a small town in Hickville, over in Washington State, you know, and then you're driving down the road there, and then somebody pulls you over because they think your headlights out. Oh, hmm. well, what have you been doing tonight? You know. Oh, interestingly, there is for- actually court precedent. Uh, City of Seattle versus Messiani, the Washington State has made DUI checkpoints unconstitutional hmm. decades yeah. ago. Well, so yeah, it's interesting. When I was in Utah one time, my cousin, the same cousin actually that I was just referencing. And I got pulled over in my car. She was actually driving my car with me in it. And the cop was like, so I noticed that you have a tail light out. And so I just wanted to make sure you're okay. It was so weird. And mm. we like were just like, yeah, Ridiculous. we're fine. We're just going. But then we went home and my wow. tail light was not out. Oh, so the he old lied. lie. Yep. Yeah. He wasn't checking on to see if you were okay. He wanted to see, to see if he could get you arrested something. for something. Also, Oregon, uh, it is also unconstitutional. It is against their constitution to have a DUI checkpoint in Oregon. So hmm. that's why you don't see him. I've actually yeah. just never been through one of those anywhere I've lived. I've been through them, but oh, I've thanks. been through them on purpose. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you for your time. Hey, I thanks for the call, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking phone calls. Yeah, interesting. I really I didn't, yeah, that. and I didn't know that uh, Oregon thank and you, Washington made them illegal. It makes me wonder, you know, how many states they are prohibited and how many they are allowed. Because they've happened out here in New Hampshire, and it's it's federal money, by the way, that goes to fund these DUI checkpoints. It's not just the cops doing this on their own volition or with local tax dollars. It's federal tax dollars, your federal tax dollars, that are going to fund police departments doing DUI checkpoints. And what they determined after the Free Staters went out on multiple occasions, usually in Manchester, uh, and the Free Staters got signs like letting people know, hey, DUI checkpoint ahead turn here you know you can avoid the checkpoint if you turn now uh the free staters would go out and actually like kind of interdict the checkpoints and basically make them completely pointless because you know people would turn away yeah Yeah. um the the cops finally said you know what we're going to stop doing these i think in new hampshire how could it possibly be constitutional at all constitutional at all under the fourth amendment i think it probably just wasn't challenged yeah. So these other states had court cases in regards to that, and and maybe some didn't, some haven't. So weird. It's like in Utah, I lived in a really small town, so I was like nonstop getting involved with the cops, and to the point where they were like, "We'll kick you off the military base you live on." So I wow. One one of the reasons that I moved, I mean, I wanted to move too, but helped kick me in the butt to get me out of there. And then when I moved to San Antonio, I never ever got pulled over by a cop ever, and. The only time I ever even had to deal with cops were uh, my like ghetto things like my sister attacking me. I called the cops and then my roommate calling the cops because of stupid petty stuff like I never I could have went all of San Antonio if I didn't wasn't surrounded by ghetto people sometimes without ever 
involving myself with cops. Like I've never been in a checkpoint or anything like that. So in a way, it's like I can see how some people can go their whole lives without even knowing what the cops are about. Mm. Just like, oh, those are just the cops that deal with criminals, right? Like, I don't know. Just a quick glance here. According to findlaw.com, presuming the list is up to date, it looks like the super majority of states... DUI checkpoints are completely legal. So it's a very small minority of states that have them either outlawed or are against the Constitution. What do you think? Have you ever been in a DUI checkpoint? Do you think that they should be completely constitutionally illegal? Do you think the cops are good or bad people or just a mix? Um, 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. The Shire Free Church offers a sanctuary to those seeking an escape from state churches. The Shire Free Church is an interfaith, diverse group of people that may not share identical theological beliefs. As a member in or minister of the Shire Free Church, you are a sovereign individual and may be the faith of your choice. We don't claim to have all of the answers. We are open to all peaceful people. We want to learn from each other. What unifies the Shire Free Church and its diverse members is peace, love, and liberty. There are many paths to God, one for every individual. The Shire Free Church does not define a specific path beyond these parameters that must be your foundation. Peace as your way. Love as your guide. And liberty as your light. Learn more at church.shiresociety.com. That's church. ShireSociety.com. Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control. The number to call in to get on the air with us is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. And in the studio with you tonight, it's me, Bonnie. It's Ian. And I'm just going to go right to the phones. We have Major Payne calling from Michigan. What's on your mind, Major? Well, I'm just thinking about how the police target their uh, their victims. Yep. I mean, here in Michigan, we use a lot of road salt. And if you're not affluent, by the time a car is 10, 10 years old or so, and you can actually afford it, there's uh, going to be some rust holes and whatnot in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, from the salt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I mean, you can pick up something 30 years old out of Arizona, other than being sandblasted by the desert, looks beautiful. But that's not the case around here. But anyway, if you're driving something that looks like a hoopty, they're going to pull you over. And that makes if sense. There's ever, if there's ever any fruit from their ventures, I mean, I remember one time up here, I think for 10 years, every month I bet you I'd get pulled over three times. Oh, my gosh. And uh, as, as the kids say, sooner or later they're going to catch you riding dirty when they're hitting you that often, you know, whether it's. <laughs> Just just having two beers or, you know, smoking a hooter or whatever. 
and uh, that shouldn't but, really be a, I don't think that should really be a crime, but for whatever reason, people agree to pay taxes to fund this gang, this gang group of people that call themselves cops to go pull people over, hoping to find something like a pipe in their car or like a beer after work. Well, plus it's just total BS that these people call themselves um, servants. I mean, they don't behave like servants. They behave like masters. And if I was going to hire somebody to serve me in the area of being in, intoxicated, right? Because I don't think people should be intoxicated driving places. That that sounds pretty dangerous What about just to me. smoking weed? Yeah, I don't think that that's a problem personally. I think maybe Isn't for some people it could be. Uh, no, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe by definition, but I think... I think intoxication has to be detectable in some sort of way. Like you have to be worse at doing the thing that you're doing and worse to the point of, you know, it's a danger in my opinion. But uh, if I wanted to hire someone to be my servant in that way and, you know, do something to interdict me if I was being uh, irresponsible like that, then I would have them do something more compassionate rather than throwing Hmm. someone in a jail cell and possibly ruining their life with criminal charges, they could just simply take that person home. You know, they and this is, by the way, something that, as I understand it, they used to do back in the day. Uh, it's some police would actually pull somebody over for DUI or whatever, and they would drive that person home. Like that's actual service. That's what somebody who is a peace officer would do. That is not what they do today, though. What- Instead, there's just no due process, and people who haven't actually done anything to hurt anyone else, get taken to jail just because they're assumed to be drunk or whatever. But, Major, I think you had some specific stories you wanted to tell about th- this process. Well, the one one time I actually got cut a, cut, cut a deal by the cops. I was only a teenager. Hmm. They caught a few of us out back of the arcade smoking some dope. And, uh, you know, not real hardcore dope, just marijuana. Yeah. But anyway, so they come rolling up and... Who's got the drugs and yada, yada, yada? Well, I had like a quarter ounce or something. They made me dump it out and kick it around and whatnot. And then they took off and left us alone, so that was cool. And most of it was bud, so we came back with a flashlight about half an hour later and got half of it back anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I've had I, one time I was in, uh, I was probably in my early 20s, an old man had had a stroke on a, backing out of his driveway and his leg locked up. So he's full throttle up the neighbor's neighbor's driveway, through his backyard, blew through his fence, and uh, took out a cinder block garage on the next block. So I'm on my way out to uh, clean up the mess, and I'd already completed one job that day. So it was like 5, 5.30. I'm driving down, uh, I think it was 96. And I had a joint in my mouth, wasn't even lit. And I could not find a match to save my life. <laughs> so I'm running around through my army jacket and whatnot looking for a match. And I look over, and there's a state trooper right next to me, just eyeing me like a <laughs> With the joint in your mouth. And were you in the process, yeah. like, actually driving, or were you parked looking yeah, for it? I'm, I'm bouncing down, down bouncing down the E-way. Dang. So anyway, he pulls me over, and I just grab the joint out of my mouth real casual as, as he's sliding behind me reached over my seat and dropped that joint behind my seat. Well, I had all kinds of gear back there. He never could find the joint. <laughs> but I I had a cracked beer between my legs, which I'd only had like two swallows out of, so all he could write me up for was an open intox. Okay. But I also had a uh, 
over legal length knife on my hip. Because I knew I was going down to a back alley in Detroit, and you never know what's going to happen down there after dark. So, you know, just trying to be prepared for the situation, I tried to explain it for this judge, because the cop gave me my choice. He says, well, I can write you up for the knife or the beer. And my my, my dumb ass, I took the knife instead of the beer. I should have took the beer. But she threw me in a hooskow for 30 days because uh, she just couldn't understand how I might have been threatened after dark in the middle of the ghetto as the only white boy there. That's pretty dumb. A certain length of knife is worse than another. I mean, <laughs> if you had like well, a butter knife, you'd be fine. No, three and a half inches is what the legal limit is for a lock blade, at least here in Michigan. And theoretically, it has to be a little longer than that to hit your heart. Well, good to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. But yeah, I, I mean, the cops up here, when you get into the small towns, they have to uh, criminalize the populace just to justify their existence. And yeah, down there in true. Wayne County, I mean, there is a buttload of people and a buttload of crime. And if they just wanted to get off their arses and do their jobs, they wouldn't have to harass the populace to make their quota. Yep, that's true. I mean, water protect and serve. We'll start with the damn serving part. Get out, get away, get out of the donut shop. Go do uh, something. Yeah, I mean that is a really good point. And thank you for your call, Major Payne. Go after some real criminals. That um, well, just the point that cops, in order to pay all of them, they need more criminals. They, that's more true. things need to be criminalized. The regular person driving down the street who just has a knife, going to work and mm-hmm. and a joint and an open beer can, um, you know isn't really a criminal or isn't a criminal at all in my opinion there's no victim victim, no crime but the cops have to make things like that criminal Mm -hmm. in order to justify getting paid going on with the phones we have dave ridley on the line what's on your mind ridley yeah a wildly different uh topic okay (laughs) let's hear it so uh I'm always looking for any excuse I can to talk about the, you know, the nuclear threat that we're under right now, the Cuban missile crisis, you know, 2.0. Like, you know, it's in, a, it's in its 14th, 14th month. It in, or no, I guess it's more like the 18th month uh, since the Ukraine invasion. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something uh, new? So, yeah, so um, what's interesting is, I guess, the... The the vague the the uh, presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, I think it's the the vague I believe is how oh, it's pronounced. I'm not sure. Yeah. So anyway, apparently he has a um, a plan that he has uh, been talking about for ending the Ukraine war, and it's so brilliant because it's simple. And really? I've never thought of this, uh, but what he's pushing is <clears throat> uh, the following: uh, uh, ceasefire. Uh, the, the current line of control becomes the new border. Um, the, uh, the Ukraine does not join NATO. That becomes kind of set in stone. But Russia ends its alliance with China. Okay. So this is what Putin is proposing or no, Ukraine? Oh, oh, okay. Uh, the U.S. presidential candidate, Vivek. Okay, well, what is he going to do about it? I mean, he can't tell them to agree to that. Well, if he gets elected, he can. Sort of. Sort of. Okay, he can so. tell, like, Ukraine, you won't get any more money if you don't agree to this or something? Something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I just don't know that I can trust that some guy who, you know, came out of nowhere. He's just in the pharmacy business. He has a fake country accent. He is only five foot seven. Can just go and get elected <laughs> president of the United States and tell Putin and uh, Zelensky. Oh, well, he's also short. What to do? I, I just don't really believe that any presidential candidate is going to be better than the other at this. Yeah, I got well, to agree I mean, with I you don't on know. that one, Bonnie. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying he's great or he's going to have. I'm not saying he's going to do it, but it's a good idea. Well, it'd be great if one of you know Putin or Zelensky came out with. That's why I was actually pretty interested at first because I guess I missed that you were saying this is the Vix um, thing. It'd be interesting if either Putin or Zelensky were. Can you turn that down. Uh, yeah. Thank you. We're oh, coming up with way. some kind of a peace uh, agreement. That would be interesting. Yeah. Um, I, as I understand it, Ridley, uh, the Ukraine guy does not want to cede any territory to Russia. So this would probably be a non-starter for him. And I suspect Putin is not going to want to end any of his alliances. So I, I'm, my guess is this is not going to go anywhere, even if he was able to, uh, make a proposition like that. Well, here's why, here's why it might work, and that, that is the Russians uh, don't do well with alliances with China, right? That doesn't, it's never worked in the past. And they, they have to kind of, they, they get treated like a vassal state currently in the, in the situation that they're in. So there's a strong motive for the Russians to, to end that. It's also, <clears throat> if you stop and think about it, it creates a, a sort of a tripolar world instead of a bipolar world. What's the reason uh, they would want to end that? I mean, they are currently in an alliance with China. It's called BRICS. They probably have other agreements as well. I mean, they're they're in a they're in a club together right now, and seems to be going fine for them. In fact, they just had dozens of countries, as I understand, at least like two dozen countries. I've heard as many as forty have applied for membership. They've added six more. Uh, within just the last few weeks at their recent summit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say exactly, but but the main thing is that they're not they have not done well in the war in Ukraine, and they are looking for a way out. And this would be it. It would also uh, solve essentially solve the nuclear threat for a while because uh, it would make it very difficult for China to invade Taiwan. Um, so it, it just, you know, Russia is just much more. It's, much closer to being a natural you know, ally of the United States. That's not that's a little too strong of a word, than, than, you know, but that kind of thing. It's much closer to being workable with the United States than China is. And that's, another, that's what the U.S., one of the things the U.S. gets out of it is a less hostile Russia. Well, I don't think there's any harm in trying the proposal. I mean, it can't hurt to put it forward. Um, however, if it doesn't work out, then the appropriate thing to do is to butt out and stop sending money and uh, arms or whatever, any kind of support over to any side. It's not about yeah. business. Yeah. Um, is, is that all you have today, Ridley? That is all. Thanks Thank for you for call. your call. And it's 603-283-6160 if you'd like to call in and get in on any conversation, bring up something uh, that's on your mind, or talk about something we're already talking about. But for now, Ian has a story um, about Japan and how people don't want to go on dates, so they're having their parents do it for them. Yeah, I don't even know if they're having their parents <laughs> do it for them. Uh, I think it's their parents are just doing it. 
The story is from CNN out of Tokyo, where it's a steamy summer afternoon in the Japanese city of Osaka, where a group of around 60 men and women have gathered for a session of omai, or matchmaking, to find true love. They mingle away, hopping from one end of the conference room at the Sakai Chamber of Commerce building to another as they assess potential matches and the competition. But this is no ordinary speed dating event. Few of the participants are talking about their favorite hobbies, movies, or restaurants, or indeed even about themselves. They're talking about their grown-up, still single children who they're hoping to match up and marry off. Well, with their permission at least? Uh, That's not really clear. One woman in her 60s speaks proudly of her 34-year-old son, a public elementary school teacher. A man in his 80s talks affectionately about his career-minded son, who's 49, who works as a controller at an electric company. Each of the parents has forked out about $96, or 14,000 yen, to attend this event. Whoa, that's a lot. No, it's not. $96? To go to a speed dating? Shouldn't that just be something going on at a bar? Yeah. I mean, I've never went to one. I've never even heard of one actually happening. People pay a lot of money to go and try and get a date somewhere, right? Like 100 bucks doesn't seem too crazy. You can just Uh, get on like some website for, you know. They're going to charge you 100 bucks for a year subscription or whatever. I don't know if those like eHarmony ones cost money, so. They do. Uh, Hosted by the Matchmaking Agency Association of Parents Marriage Proposal Information. Sorry, I've left out an of. Association of Parents of Marriage Proposal Information. That is the name of the matchmaking agency. Maybe it makes more sense in Japan or Japanese. And they're hoping to meet someone just like them. A parent whose still single daughter or son might be the perfect match for their own lonesome child. Uh, Let me just think about this out loud like how many people's parents really know them well enough to choose a mate for them like I just I don't think that my parents could do it my mom would be like oh he's such a nice boy Bonnie like if I wasn't married to you obviously my parents I just don't think that they would do it end up with terrible choices my dad would be like this guy is great he plays this sport this sport in this sport my dad doesn't like country (laughs) music well they don't listen to country music (laughs) And then my mom would be like, oh, he's such a nice boy. And he's like totally weird and autistic and <laughs> silent. Or... So they never set you up with anybody ever? Like this has never happened to you? Not. I don't think my parents ever tried to set me what up with like anyone. about like a sister or, but or something? when I worked on um, Dugway Proving Ground, a lot of the Mormons, like when I worked at the bank especially, mm-hmm. a lot of the older Mormons I worked with would be like, oh, you would love my son. Which is weird because they knew I wasn't Mormon, but. I guess they weren't maybe that serious gonna, about They it. thought they might convert you. Hmm, maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, Listen, if you want to stay with my son, you're going to have to convert. I remember my mom actually doing it to my older sister once. Setting and it was pretty someone? funny. Well, she tried to. She was like, you would love this boy that goes to our church. And it was somebody that I know, even I knew, would, Julie would, abs- my sister, sorry, she would wouldn't ab- like him. absolutely not like him or date him or anything like mm-hmm. that. He was a really nice guy, but not like... Somebody my sister would get along with. Yeah. I think you make a good point here, Bonnie, that this is probably doomed to fail. Yeah. Uh, as far as this system. But, you know, this association exists and they probably have some success stories, right? Like 
what dating company is not going to have success stories that they can point to to say, oh, I met my wife on this system and we are still together 10 years later. They all have that stuff. So there probably are some parents who have successfully managed to bring their socially awkward son together with their socially awkward, this other people's socially awkward daughter, and they can have autistic babies together or whatever. There probably are some stories about that. Mm. Now, it would be more interesting to know how many successes versus failures they have, because I suspect the majority of them are going to be failures for exactly the reason that you're specifying is that these People, I mean, this guy they're talking about here is 50 or sorry, 49 49. years old. I mean, that's uh, that is not (laughs) I wonder if he's still living at home. Just think about it. If you're the type of person who your parents are out there paying $90 to go to a speed dating event just to get you a date, you're probably really weird. I just got to assume. Well, and we've talked before. If you've agreed to it. Yeah. Well, and that's the question. We don't really know yeah. if that's the case here. But we have talked before uh, about Japan and the, the situation that they found themselves in there with young people. And I guess 49 is considered young when you compare them to 80 year olds. But, uh, you know, younger people not going out on dates, not having any interest in finding a mate for their life, not having in, any interest in, in having children, all of these things together. Uh, are very, very common. And so what you're seeing happen in Japan is the uh, what they call the replacement rate is not happening. Yeah, like, that- I think it was Ernie, our Monday night host. Mm-hmm. He said that, I think it was him, said that they're selling more adult diapers than baby diapers in Japan. Oh, God. It sounds believable. Hmm. Um, I mean, that may be a joke or not, but I don't know. But it does sound believable because they're having... Uh, fewer babies, and even fewer than in the United States. Now, the U.S. is also apparently below replacement rate, as I understand. I'll have to go pull up the chart. It's So the replacement rate is the number of babies any given, I think it's couple has, if I recall correctly. And if you're below two, then that is below the replacement rate, right? Because oh, if, you're not replacing yourself? Exactly. As in, you'll get old and... It, yeah, you're going to get older and die, and you've only had, had one kid, so now there's one fewer of your family, right? So there were two, now there's one. So in order for the replacement rate to be uh, growing, it has to be above two. And there was a time in America where it was, right? Like your typical, what they called it, nuclear family was a man, a woman, and two children. And of course, there were some families that had more, and it averaged out to be where there were more children than there were parents but now that's been changing in this country and it's worse in japan i believe japan is one of the worst in the world so they have a real problem where the young people in japan don't want to actually like have relationships they don't want to have kids and so therefore there's literally a booming elderly population and not enough young people to even take care of them there is uh, Japan, a place where they've ever had like arranged marriages, was that ever a normal thing there? I don't know. I suspect it was, uh, but I, I don't know. Because I'm wondering if it's like, oh, it's kind of normal for my parents to choose who I marry, so it's not like weird, they don't need permission. Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, That would be a question for maybe somebody out there that could answer that at 603-283-6160. So let's go on. 
So it's not that Japan, a notoriously work-obsessed nation where time is at a premium, hasn't tried out the more direct approach to speed dating where the youngsters do it for themselves. The youngsters. It's more that leaving the young to do it doesn't seem to be working. With rising living costs, poor economic prospects, and the demanding work culture conspiring against them, fewer Japanese today are opting to get married and have children. Their parents, alarmed at their diminishing chances of grandchildren, are stepping in. Of course, that's what it's all about, right? Is like, you gotta have the grandchildren, the, the obsession that everybody's obligated to have children just so their parents can be happy. Now, look- Crazy. I am somebody who is childless. Bonnie, you are as well. Um, I got in a vasectomy in my early 20s because I was certain then and, and still so am. And still am now. Well, it's just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. I thought you weren't going to uh, hear me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's a whole different story than the entirety of a society. I'm not somebody who says everybody shouldn't have children. Look, have all the kids you want. I don't care what you do. It's And, and most people are called to this. Most people have a... Uh, an immense drive to reproduce whatever that is i don't understand it personally that's just how i am but most people are and so people keep having babies and that's the way the the species continues and you know good for them but in japan it's become a problem is this because they're laying flat or is that uh, china laying flat so it's like this idea that the younger generation is now like we've always been forced to be really good at working, work really hard, mm-hmm. get everything, uh, get good grades and everything. But we just want to have a job that's more relaxed. We just are going to lay flat and not work until that's the idea. So they're they're not um, they're not as enthusiastic as previous generations about working. Yeah, they'll even like not have a job for as long as possible to mm. just. Just to live off of whatever they got. Yeah, I think you... I don't know if it's Japan or China. That's probably true. I think it's probably true there. Uh, so they're saying that fewer Japanese are getting married and fewer having children. The parents are now stepping in. The company's director, Noriko Miyagoshi, who's been organizing matchmaking events for almost two decades, said the idea that it's okay for parents to help their children get married in this way has become more widespread. In the past, people might have been ashamed of coming to these events. She said, but times have changed. The same forces that are driving these parents to the Osaka conference room have been playing havoc with the demographics of the world's third biggest economy. In Japan today, there are fewer marriages, fewer births, and fewer people. The population has long been on a downward trajectory, and in the year up to January, according to government data, it suffered a record plunge of 800,000 people. So 800,000 fewer people exist today than one year ago prior to January. So 800,000 people died in a year Hmm. and there weren't enough people to replace them. Well, I just know that I'd be really good at a company like this if I owned a matchmaking company. I just know that I'd be really good at it. And if you want relationship advice from me, 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. With whatever's on your mind, you can talk about what we're talking about, or you can bring up something new. It's 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. 
And with you in the studio tonight, tonight, it's me, Bonnie. And it's Ian. And we've been talking in the last segment about Japanese parents arranging dates for their grown-up children. Yeah, it's、uh, sad but true, and it is a statement in regards to the society there in Japan. But before we get into that again, I'm going to go to your phone calls and thoughts. Bad Slave, you're on the air with us. Bad Slave, what's on your mind? Thanks for taking my call.、Um, I just have, I don't know if I missed it while I was trying to get through, but、um, the answer to was、uh, were arranged marriage,、uh, marriages in, in,、uh, in Japan common. And, and if you go back 100, 200 years,、uh, that was kind of all there was. Hmm. Mm, okay, I believe it. And, and, you know, there were many, many other conservative cultures that,、uh, you know, most Muslims have a,、uh, you know, arranged、uh, marriages. Yeah, assigned marriages. They also like to have、yeah. a lot of babies, too. Muslims are all about reproducing. Same thing's true with Mormons, they by the way.、Are. They are. But they、yep. don't do arranged marriages.、Mm. Well, even Catholics, and kind of,、uh, mm-hmm. not maybe as much as was, but、um, I mean, I,、uh, a Catholic family that was、uh, friends with my parents were, they had 11 or was it 12 kids? You know? Yeah, they don't believe in、uh, contraceptives. Afghanistan、right. has 4.6 is their number of、uh, the replacement rate. So the average、uh, couple is having 4.6 kids in Afghanistan compared to 1.7 in the United States. Well, I, I just think it's child abuse to have one kid. What do you mean? I think it's child abuse to have an only child. Why? Because it's a sad existence. Why is that? I mean, you get all the attention from your parents. Wouldn't that be a good thing? Sounds boring. One and two, you don't have any friends that are built in that you get to hang out with every day, like when you have siblings. Yeah, but that's not your sibling isn't always your friend. Sometimes, I mean, you had a good relationship with your siblings, but some siblings don't get along at all. And it could be a nightmare. What if the one sibling is picking on the other one constantly? I mean, I didn't have that problem because I was the older person in my. Uh, household with my sister. Are you picking、sister. on your sister? I mean, here and there. But,、uh, but, you know, there's some like brothers who are known for beating each other up. I mean, they're not very nice to one another. I had another a sister who was beating me up, and I also had like a <laughs> bunch of siblings that were really good siblings. And it's, I would just always choose, even when she wasn't beating me up, I'm still happy that I grew up with the other sister、mm. because the fact that, like, it's like when you have siblings. You go through all these things with them and then don't have to play it out when you're way too old for it as like a teenager. Thank you for the call, Bad Slave. I, I just think like figuring out, like, oh, me doing this thing makes other people annoyed. See, me、I、doing this、friends. thing makes other people mad. Earlier, I had friends in my own home. I had friends outside of my home that I could go and, you know, go run around the neighborhood with or do whatever. Play with them, whatever way, spend nights at people's houses, that sort of thing. Like, I had zero interest in spending time with my sister. Well, so I just think that your parents probably should have had more than just two because it's also probably child abuse to have one kid of one <laughs> sex and one kid of the other. That's silly. 
I think that uh, parents who are raising their kids in the number and in the way they want, that doesn't sound like an abusive situation uh, to me at all. But we are uh, talking about Japan and how they are in big trouble when it comes to their population. They are on the decline, and they're not the only country. I had speculated earlier that they might have been the lowest, and no, they're not. Um, They are lower. They're definitely like in the top or bottom, however you want to look at it the bottom uh, 20 countries but other countries are even worse off hong kong which isn't really a country anymore uh singapore with 1.1 so again you have to have greater than two mm-hmm. uh in order to have an expanding population so you got uh singapore is at a 1.1 palau is at 0.8 korean mm. republic which i presume is the northern side uh, at point eight, I don't know how I they're getting the people numbers there. Palau are probably just leaving because it's like, would you want to grow up on this island that's very small in the Pacific, where like everyone's your family basically, or would you be like, I want to go to the United States because aren't they a territory? Uh, no, that doesn't ring a bell for me. I can't. I can't say I know anything about Palau. Okay, so Korea is actually South Korea. I was wrong. It's not North Korea. Uh, South Korea has point eight. They are the Whoa. lowest. Yeah, they are the lowest tied with Palau. Puerto Rico, which again isn't really a country, but 0.9. Uh, British Virgin Islands at 1.0. China, Macau at 1.1. Singapore at 1.1. Malta at 1.1. Ukraine at 1.2. And uh, this is numbers from 2021, by the way. So this is hmm. pre war Ukraine. So. Well, the war happened in 20. 20- oh, we never. No, it was 2022. 2022. You're right. And uh, China at 1.2. And then there's several more before you finally get to Japan at 1.3. The United States is at 1.7 on this chart. So what we were talking about is a desperate attempt by Japanese parents to get their kids to go out on a date. Well, sorry. One other thing I just thought of is immigration. So America's at 1.7, you say, but we also have a lot of immigration, so we're probably fine. Well, that is definitely something the Japanese have been looking at doing is loosening up their immigration. And they've sort of been known as a highly restrictive yeah. place. Right. Uh, they're not particularly known for being friendly to outsiders as far as uh, migrants are concerned. But they also know now that if they don't let people to c- come in, they're not going to have anyone to take care of the elderly when they get older. Because as you pointed out, Bonnie, a lot of these younger people in Japan they don't want to work at all. So not only do you have a problem where the population is declining, where there physically aren't as many people who could work, but of the people who could actually work, some percentage of them isn't willing to. Well, let's go to the phones because it looks like we have a call. Law Dog in Michigan, you're on the phone on on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Bonnie, how are you doing? I, I guess you're talking about the... Uh lower birth rate here in some of the other countries. Log dog, right? do me a favor. Ba- back off your phone like three or four inches because you're really right. jamming us here. Okay. Sorry about that. That's better. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. I I want to talk about something a little bit more interesting. Go ahead. How about, how about marijuana? Can we speak about marijuana? Of course. What about it? Okay. Yeah, I was a bad boy back in 1978. Uh, I was, it, it was, it was a lot different back then because there's some commercial Colombian that was just chipped off the brick. It had some red sprinkled in it and everything. And I was, I was getting that about for about $400 a pound. And I was just, uh, Good old just days. chopping it up. Yeah. 
but see, it was that, that the stuff back then. You, you know, you're you're looking at uh, only three to uh, to five percent uh, THC on that. Mm. So That's what you did was, yeah, um, and and if you bought quarters, you you could uh, you know sell three and. Uh, and, and get one for free, so you'd mm-hmm. be basically smoking for free. I kind of wish that gosh, marijuana was like that. Like, I don't like this marijuana that exists anymore. Where you can get the low quality like, stuff. You just well, have to go to Mexico. I, don't know, I feel like it'd be hard. I don't <laughs> know. It is hard to get in the United States these because, days. You know what? Well, that was back when I was twenty-three. This is I'm I'm going on sixty-nine here, and I'll, I'll tell you the way to go because I have a compromised immune system with my lungs. I mean, gummy's the way to go down mm-hmm. here in B- Baloney mm-hmm. Township and in uh, the uh, uh, fine uh, car- carnival uh, uh, of uh, of Michigan Center, Michigan. We 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 got these uh, weed places popping up like weeds, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And our roads are getting fixed, and all kinds of stuff is coming down. And uh, you know, yeah, I gotta uh, agree with you, Law Dog. Um, before I got arrested by the federal gang and put on probation. Um, I used to be oh, a regular was it cannabis double user. Probation or what? No, it's no secret. We're talking about okay. it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right. uh, I was I was a regular cannabis user, and I had moved to edibles and vaping. I you yeah. know was not smoking. I think uh, it is less popular nowadays to use smoked cannabis than it has ever been. Well, as far as like vaping versus smoking, I still kind of prefer just to smoke actual marijuana. Like the vaping stuff just has all kinds of mystery crap. Yeah, in there's it. You some don't know real questions is. when it comes to the but vape stuff. I forgot that when I was a smoker, like back in like 2021, I actually really enjoyed low doses of edibles because it's like you can yep. control it a lot more than you know just, what you're taking you know the exact amount of milligrams I you're putting in your body hate nothing more than somebody who's passing around a joint and you're like sure i'll take a hit like i'll just get a little and, and then you're blasted you. yeah. because it, i don't know i weigh 100 pounds and you just don't know how much you're taking or what sure. it is yeah you have no way to really measure your dose when it comes to smoked cannabis but those edibles are so good these days, and there's so many different choices. I know the captain has told us about when he was in Seattle, they would have like chocolate, chocolate. edibles, and of course, you're gonna get the gummies or whatever. I, different I drinks, see, yeah, drinks. You guys now. gotta come down here to you've got to come down to Michigan Center, Leone Township, and the Carp Carnival because next year, no, we uh, don't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the carp carnival queen is 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 going to be a big Gretchen, and the court's going to be Dana too. And uh, you I don't know, know who they, that is. Uh, I know who the Gretchen one is. That's the governor there. I don't or, know who oh, the, Dana the queen. Her, her AG. Ah, and, uh, I thought you were talking okay. about like pageant queens. I got a call from one of her henchmen the other day because I was doing something with the state, and I asked the lady. I says, "Are you an employee of Dana, uh, Dana Nassel?" And she goes, oh, yeah. And I go, why? Why in the hell would I want to talk to you? Great point. Yeah. Why <laughs> would the hell I want to talk to you? They were talking about clergy abuse here. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, it's I generally a bad idea about, to talk uh, to the police. Yeah, uh, that's, talk that's to who they are. Sexual about, anything sexual about the dude. He just, he says, oh, he's, he's chain smoking these, these uh, um, Chesterfields, man. And he's saying, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I know, I, I, I know, I'm gonna die here." In the meantime, he's blowing smoke in my face, you know. And mm. it's like I have no dude. idea what you're talking about and right he, now. He, he I thought it was a reporter that, that was asking me, about. But, uh, I'll tell you, clergy crimes. The, the, the crookedest bastards are, are, are. I'll tell you where they're at. They're in the damn Catholic Church, brother. And you can take that to the bank and collect interest on it. I believe it, All Law right. Dog. Thank you for the call. Um, yeah, the. I don't know really what what his story was about, except 
I agree with him about the Catholic Church. It's yeah, but pretty I don't have proven. to give them money. Yeah. So right. that's why you it's have not to a big attend deal. their churches if they right. demand you. A, yeah, I've uh, never had a Catholic ch- uh, priest. You know, as as bad as some of them might be, I've never had any of them come banging on my front door and throwing a gun up in my face or whatever. Right, like that doesn't happen. Demanding you follow their morals yeah, the way that happen. they see them. But yeah, yeah, I would not agree that they are the most crooked bastards, as sure. you said. But I would agree that they're up there. But anyways, going back to this article about. Japan. Yeah, so we were talking about how uh, elderly folks in Japan who have kids, now their kids are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, uh, they're showing up at these meetings of the group called Association of Parents of Marriage Proposal Information. Such a weird name. uh, gets people together and they essentially have parents talking to one another about their kids and trying to hook them up on dates. So they're talking about the sort of the societal situation there in Japan here in the story from CNN.com. The same forces, they say, that are driving these parents have been playing havoc with the demographics of the world's third biggest economy. They're saying that in the last year, Japan has seen a drop of 800,000 population. Behind that plummeting population is the ever-falling number of marriages and births. In 2021, the number of newly registered marriages fell to 501,116. The fewest since the end of World War II in 1945, and just half the number recorded in the 1970s. And when people do get married, they're doing so at later stages of life, leaving less time to make babies. The median age for tying the knot in 2021 was 34 for men, up from 29 in 1990, and 31. That's just probably something it's having to do with like their, uh, their like. They're supposed to have like higher IQs and be smart there. Mm-hmm. It's just smarter to not have a baby in your early 20s or teenage years. Well, that is definitely true. However, uh, they're still not having as many babies. Um, the drop not in, their problem. Alongside the, the drop in problem. marriages has been a slide in the fertility rate, which last year hit a record low of 1.3, far below the 2.1 required to maintain a stable population. I think that this story is interesting because it's so weird that people's parents are going out and doing this. But at the same time, I really don't get the point of caring, honestly, caring about, about the what? population not growing in Japan. It's like, oh, well, like let nature take its course. Don't force people to have babies that don't want to have well, babies. I don't think and... anyone's talking about forcing anybody here, at least not yet. Well, Hopefully I'm just it saying, doesn't get to that point. I don't point, mean force but... as in like with violence. I mean, just like, what's the point of like even trying to coerce people to have babies? Why not just let nature take its course? Whoever I lives there lives there. I get what you're saying. I mean, I'm not, I'm not hearing any coercion in what they're talking about. They're just trying to set people up on dates here. But ultimately, the concern... I'm not saying concern... those people are. I'm okay. saying the people who are always like, can you believe it? They're selling more adult diapers than kids' diapers in Japan. Look, it's just because of the New World Order or whatever. Well, I, I just don't that, really but... think it's that big of a deal. If Even if everyone in Japan uh, became of old age and then died, well, who cares if people live on that island or not? Those islands. Okay, I get where you're coming from. Uh... I just think if okay. people want to have kids, they want to. And if they don't, what's the big deal? Okay, so to answer your question from the, not necessarily my perspective, because I get where you're coming from, but just kind of to play devil's advocate here, is, well, if you're not growing, the old saying is, you're either growing or you're dying, right? And it's true in business, typically, uh, It's and it's you know true in life, right? Like if you are, uh, let's say you're retirement age, and you just decide you're going to sit around the house all day and watch television, you're probably not going to make it very long. If you are up in those uh, those years, but you're out there doing things and you're active and you're you know you're 
you're still doing business or whatever, like you still have things that are exciting and interesting to you, then you're likely to hold on much longer. You remember the guy that owns uh, Rogers Campground, Ro- mm-hmm. Crosby? He's like 86 years old. I just don't old. get what this has to do with anything. I, I was I telling understand. you, you're either growing or you're dying. So I'm giving you an, a, an, a personal example of that on an individual level. And now on a societal level, the same thing is true. You're either growing or you're dying. And what you're saying is, fine, let Japan die. Let the people move out of Japan and go somewhere else. And you're not wrong about that. If that's what happens, that's what happens. But the reason why people don't want that to happen is because, well, most people don't want to move, right? Like they want to stay where they're at. They like the place that they were born in. They don't want to see it fail. So they want to see the place where they grew up and the place where their friends live and where they live continue on. And so it's frustrating to them to see what seems like the inevitability so of the failure. So why is this such a popular topic in the United States instead of just something they talk about in Japan? I'm it's like sure I, I, I hear people talking about this all the time. That's why I said Ernie was talking about it on the show Monday. Well, they talk about it in Japan, too. Okay, but why are we talking about it? Like, because I don't care. Because it could happen here. Why are you... Well, okay, then why'd you get a vasectomy? Like, I just don't get because it. Because I'm not... I'm not concerned with... I'm not That's saying I question. agree, That's my question. You're not concerned, Bonnie. right? I'm not saying I... I'm not concerned either. I, I, get, I get it. But I'm explaining to you why so many people are concerned because they're worried that the thing that they love, the place they grew up or whatever, is going to fail. That there are not going to be enough people to keep it growing. But that's and- never the case. It's not like the United or the entire population of the earth is going to disappear. So that's as true. long as you're not closing off the borders then yes. that's never going to happen. So I don't get the point. You are, And you make a good point that having open borders would actually solve this problem. And it would likely solve the problem for Japan as well. And Japan if they're just is, like, oh, I want them to be purely Japanese. And in all honesty, I think that's kind of evil. I don't disagree with you there. I think you're right. I think they should open the borders up. Um, for instance, our co-host Mark Edge could not even simply visit Japan, let mm-hmm. alone move there, because he had a felony on his record, which happened to him in 1989. Yeah. I mean, it's 30 year; it was 30 something years since that time, and they still told him, "No, you can't come in." So, I mean, that is definitely something they could change that would help solve this problem. But nonetheless, Bonnie, it is interesting to look at things happening in society and say, hmm, how can we make sure that doesn't happen here? And you've come up with the solution, which is to say, to allow people to come in from the outside. Yeah. It's like if the population demographic changes in the United States one day, like one day it's just majority like Hispanics coming from the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, South America, Mexico. Who cares? Yeah. I think that's actually what's happening. Uh, if you look at Southern states, you'll see there are fewer and fewer uh, you know, Caucasian or white people or whatever. Yeah, I and think a lot only, more um, Hispanics coming in. The only people who care about it in the United States, like we need to start having more, are just literally like white supremacists who want to make sure that whites stay at least represented well, yeah, if not I, the majority. I think it's silly. I think that I'm only, I only, my only concern is, do they care about freedom? I want to have a society with people who value and understand and want to keep the society free. I don't care what their color of their skin is, as long as they agree with liberty. But nonetheless, I think it's an interesting discussion here because it's it's interesting to see what's not working and the direction this particular society is going in. So earlier this year, the prime minister in Japan, Fumio Kishida, unveiled a multi-trillion dollar or sorry, yen, multi-trillion yen plan 
aimed at boosting the birth rate, warning it was a case of now or never. Among the incentives offered to parents were a monthly allowance of 15,000 yen, about $100, that ain't much, for every child they had up to two years old, and 10,000 yen for those three and above. But James Reno, an East Asian studies expert at Princeton University. Nearly get $2,400 total per kid. That's not a lot. Said trying to boost the birth rate was unlikely to work without first boosting the marriage rate. He said it's not really an issue of married couples having fewer children. It's about whether people are getting married in the first place. And failing to address the issue could have grave consequences, according to a sociologist from a university in Japan. He said, uh, Sugehi Matsuda said major concerns include a decline in the country's overall economic strength and national wealth, difficulty in maintaining social security, and loss of social capital in local communities. And he brings up an interesting point that the social security is a Ponzi scheme, as we've talked about many times here on Free Talk Live. The social security program, which, by the way, in the United States is destined to fail within the next decade. They said seven years, like two years yeah. ago. Yeah, it was. I think it's currently like 2030 is when it's supposed to go bankrupt wow. by. Um, which probably means sooner. Yeah, if you don't have, right, because you can't trust government numbers. Um, if you don't have more people in the workforce to take care of the elderly people through this forced wealth redistribution and the program will fail sooner rather than later so what is it that's turning people off matsuda said it's not that people no longer have the desire to get married some 80 percent say they do according to a survey recently it's more that they believe the obstacles in the way are insurmountable young japanese have faced poor employment prospects and flat wages since the 1990s he said And according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the average annual paycheck in Japan increased only 5% between 1991 and 2021. Well, I believe that I would be able to help anybody who calls in and asks me for relationship advice uh, get married within the next year. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. that you control 603-283-6160 that's the phone number you can call to get in on the conversation bring up whatever's on your mind 603-283-6160 in the studio with you tonight it's me bonnie it's ian and we've been talking about japan's declining birth rate why because ian says we should care I just think it's interesting uh, to look at a what is ultimately a failing society, despite all of Japan's good things that they have going for it. I mean, they have a lot of good things going for them, right? I mean, you pointed out they're generally considered to be intelligent people. Um, you know, everybody knew growing up in the Long 80s. Living. Yeah, everybody knew growing up in the 80s and the 90s that if you want good electronics, you buy them from Japan. Sony, for instance, right? Yeah, their their cars are great. The electronics are great. There's obviously a lot of good things about that particular society. Make great cartoons. They did some things right, okay? But they've also failed miserably at encouraging future generations. I mean, it's, it's gotten to the point where their birth rate is lower than the replacement rate. 
So there's fewer and fewer people every single year in Japan. Unfortunately, they still haven't opened up the borders to allow for immigration, which, as you pointed out, Bonnie, could help solve this problem. Yep. So there's a problem with like uh, I don't know if it's racism or ethnocentrism or what whatever you how you would describe how the Japanese are. I don't know enough about their culture. I'm not one of these what do they call it weeaboos or whatever people who are obsessed with. You ask me that like once a month on the show. Japanese if it's culture. Called that. I never remember if it's the weeaboo <laughs> I don't or know if either. it's the there's like another word for it. Anyway, I'm not one of those people, so I don't know a whole lot. Even though I visited one time, it was just to go and visit Roger Veer out there a few years ago where Mark and I went out, and they literally turned Mark around yep. at the border. That sucks so bad. Uh, like, how long was he on a plane? 23 hour hours? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, from California to, to Japan. Hmm. And uh, so they're making some big mistakes. And so it's it's interesting to learn from other people's mistakes, Bonnie. So that's why I, I find this I just don't care why it's a mistake or a failure. It's just like... This they're is failing. just what's happening. Well, what? it is what's happening, but they they were a country that was on the rise. They were, what does it say here? They were the third largest economy or are the third largest economy. I mean, that is a huge thing, right? This is no, uh, this is no slouch that we're talking about here, but it is, uh, it is an economy that's on the way down. And that's actually what they get into here in the CNN piece about, you know, why is it people aren't getting married? Well, they point out that people in Japan... Uh, their average paycheck raised only 5% from 1991 to 2021. Now, Bonnie, if you were working at a job and you only got, you know, less than a percentage of an increase in five years working for that job, you might get sick and tired of that, right? Like you might feel like this is a, a job that does not appreciate me. I'm good at what I do, and they're not giving me any kind of raises. I'm the other part here, about right? it uh, that might be making people not want to get married this is just a hunch. I don't, I've never been there and I don't know a lot of Japanese people or any Japanese people. Um, but I saw a video where somebody was going on the street and asking Japanese women what they think of white guys. This is in Japan. In Japan, in Tokyo. And all of them were like, white guys are so handsome. I love white guys, but I almost don't think I could date one because they're too beautiful. They're more like art than human beings <laughs> and all this stuff. And I don't know. It just made me think. It's making me think now, maybe the lack of immigration is making people just like they don't want to be with somebody that looks ju- like like them. Like, I don't know. Maybe some people just or it could be wish because that the they Japanese could go guys out. are so wussified that they just generally don't want to waste their time with them. Are they they've... really wussified? How do you know that? I don't know. Well, that's the kind of the culture that is the problem over there is you've got a bunch of young people who aren't interested in working. They're not interested in bettering themselves, obviously. I mean, if. You know, we see it over here, too, in, in the United States with this soy boy uh, thing. Imagine a culture of soy boys. Yeah, I know. I, that's literally what we live in, Ian. But, but there's fewer of them here per population than there are in Japan, and I think that's the problem. And the white... Uh, the I don't ja- know if I believe it. The Japanese girls may also be under the misconception that it's not that way here. Like, mm. they might think that... Uh, white guys are more like you know Tom Cruise or something, somebody they see on the movies rather than what they know from from real life. So there may be some misperceptions, kind of like in the same way there's still a lot of people in Africa who think that there's freedom in the United States. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of sort of mythology out there. I just think but, that it's like if there's like all kinds of different looking people and they have the internet, they can see what they look like, yeah. and they only have one option basically because their government won't let people immigrate. Yeah, they might just be like, I want to, I want to go to France or whatever yeah. and date a French guy. You know, that makes sense. 
So then you combine all that with the fact that people aren't making as much money now. Bonnie, it was from 1991 to 2021. So we're talking about 30 years where people's paychecks went up only 5%. Terrible. 30 years. Now that's compared to 34% if you look at the rest of the G7 countries like France or Germany, uh, where people are seeing a dramatic increase in the amount of money they're making. So the point being, if you don't make that much money, you don't feel like you can have a family, right? Like if you if you can barely put food on your own table, don't you agree it would be irresponsible to add another mouth to feed? Yeah. So that's what that's one reason why this is happening in Japan. They're not making as much money. The probably because the Japanese government's inflating the hell out of the money supply. Oh yeah, and that's another thing. Uh, I've seen videos on YouTube of Japanese people that live in tiny apartments that are just called like um i can't remember the word they're for, less than a studio apartment is here like, right very, very small. small like the size of like i have a bathtub and i use it for my bed <laughs> yeah uh they actually talk about that here in a moment so it has weakened their economic capacity to start marriages and japan's high cost of living and notoriously long working hours are making things worse if you're working 70 hours a week then, of course, you won't have a suitable partner because you have no time to go out and meet one. The depth of the crisis can be glimpsed in supermarket aisles and convenience stores where the shelves are full of prepackaged meals catering to one. Oh, yeah. And when Mark Falzen went to Japan in mm-hmm. a video recently, he was showing all this like they really like convenience store food. Like yeah, they they're love 7-Eleven. Like they'll get dressed up to go eat at 7-Eleven. <laughs> And uh, they love all this prepackaged food. I don't know. Yeah, um, and and that is true. I don't know what that says I mean, I don't about know if it. They, but... I don't know if they get dressed up to go eat at 7-Eleven. That's 7-11, what he was but, saying. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I mean, he was there. I was there briefly as well. They have these little mini-marts all over the place. So it's just, you know, Tokyo's a big, big place. And so you don't see huge grocery stores like you do the 7-Elevens or the family something or other, family mart or something like that. So mm-hmm. these things are all over the place. But they're saying that uh, these pre-packaged meals catering to one are very, very popular. And in the streets, uh, the streets are full of tiny apartments tailor-made for single life, which is what you were just talking about. This is a country that's designed to make single living as easy as possible. For women, economic costs are not the only turnoff. Japan remains a highly patriarchal society in which married women are often expected to take the caregiver role, despite government efforts to get husbands more involved. (laughs) Quote, although Japan is legally equal between men and women, in reality, there's a deep-seated belief among men and women. Wait, you just kind of skipped right over something pretty weird and interesting. The government is trying to force husbands to get more involved in child rearing. Apparently so. weird which is weird like just let whatever's going to happen happen but uh they say that women should still bear children and raise them while men should work outside the home said the matchmaker back at the sakai chamber of commerce remember this was all about the 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 conversation that started this was about elderly people coming into a room together to meet each other to hopefully hook their kids up Mm. with a date and their kids are in their 30s 40s and 50s so uh, we're back in that room now as light music plays to soothe the mood and might what otherwise seem as an unlikely setting for Cupid to draw his bow. CNN attended the gathering on the condition that those taking part were quoted anonymously to protect their privacy. Some of the parents have attended a few sessions already. Others are first timers and the stakes are high. 
Each of them has come armed with a completed questionnaire about their offspring, which asks things like whether they would be willing to relocate if things work out. The parents also carry profile pictures, many of them professionally shot, some showing young women dressed to impress in traditional kimonos. Much of the photos are of spinsters and bachelors in their 30s and 40s. The youngest is 28 and the eldest 51. And they have a range of professions from doctors, nurses, civil servants, and secretaries. One couple in their 80s say their 49-year-old son has been spending too much time at work to pay attention to his love life. And did they only have one kid? Child Probably. Abuse. Hard to say. They've always wanted grandchildren. So they decided to attend the matchmaking after reading about it in a newspaper. Another couple in their 70s said their 42-year-old daughter doesn't date because she wants to be free to hang out with her college friends whenever she wants. They want someone who can take care of their daughter and say she's happy for them to do the searching. So in this case, it does sound like they do have the consent of their daughter. From their daughter. Others have been asked by their children to attend the event. One mother who is in her 60s <clears throat> says her 37-year-old daughter has become anxious at seeing her friends age uh, getting her friends her age getting married and having children. She says she regrets not pushing her daughter to find a partner when she was younger. Why do you need to tell your kids to like have a romantic life that's sad? Now she's 37 and she's probably getting close to too old to have children. Yeah, she's probably about too old to have children. The agency estimates about 10% of those it matches go on to get married, although it says the true figure could be higher because parents don't necessarily let them know about their children's relationship's progress. One mom whose daughter married through the service recalled lining up to meet the parent of a popular candidate and feeling surprised when she got a call back asking if their kids could meet. At first sight, she said, My daughter just started staring at him, and that's when I knew she'd found her match. The pair are now married. She says there are advantages involving only the parents in the beginning. They can be more upfront in expressing what their children want and don't want. She said the children don't have the awkward conversations that would sometimes be remembered for years in a relationship. Really? Well, I guess like going on a first date is pretty awkward. Hmm. I liked ours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for many of the parents, it is the lure but of... We didn't just walk into a restaurant first time ever talking to each other. Like we met. A, a nightcap. That's true. It wasn't like, you know, so... It wasn't a blind date. How many yeah. siblings do you have? So what do you do for a living? Like, that's just so awkward. And for no many of the parents, it. it is the lure of grandchildren, of course, uh, says one, uh, says the organizer. She comes across parents of men in their 40s who are searching for women in their late 20s and early 30s. One father complained he hadn't been able to set up his 40-year-old son despite exchanging his profile with 10 other parents. On a closer look, she found out the father had turned down all of the women in their mid-30s and those more educated than his son. He also rejected a candidate who did not have male siblings. Well, he's being realistic. His son probably doesn't want an old, older lady an who was like, lady. I just realized that I should get married and have kids if I want to have them now. Right. Or somebody who is like way more successful than his son is probably not going to work out as well. But of course, uh, you know, this is... They're trying to shame this parent for that. I just think it's silly. Yeah. He rejected a candidate who didn't have male siblings. Women in that situation are seen as a burden in the eyes of traditional Japanese parents who believe they'll be distracted by having to take care of their in-laws when they grow old. But however great the yearning for grandchildren, the organizer says she always emphasizes to parents their children should come first. 
She says no matter how much the parents feel for each other, the children must be on board. No matter how much parents want grandchildren, <laughs> oh, the children must be willing to have children. That is a says. good point because the parents might be like, oh, I just really like this guy. Right. I want my kid to marry his kid just based on that. Yeah. And so, again, there are a lot of people in Japan that they just don't want to get married. They don't want to go out on dates. And I think that this is interesting also from a perspective of we can see similar things happening here in the United States. We've talked before about how uh, teenagers right now, the Gen Z uh, teens, they're not going out on dates like they used to in the past. They're not having sexual relations like they used to in the past. They're it's not... just a pendulum swing. Could be. It could be. Uh, but they're not. And so we're also seeing that they're not even hanging out with their friends hmm. in the same way as they did in the past. I mean, it used to be a scandal that teenagers were having sex and you know going out on dates, but now they're not even doing that anymore. And they're not like going to the mall. There aren't malls anymore, for the most part. They're not hanging out in physical reality. They quote unquote hang out by playing like a video game or something or being in, the, in a chat room uh, together. So we're seeing people kind of in the younger generation, we're seeing them kind of fall away from one another. And now maybe that is or isn't true, Bonnie. You're a little bit younger. You're in your your mid-20s. Are you seeing your friends getting married? Are they having kids? Yeah. That's, that's all happening? Yep. They're having kids and getting married. I'm the, supposedly the youngest millennial or the oldest Gen Z, depending on what source you want to get it from, in 1996. Right. And it just, I really don't see the crazy thing that people are talking about where, and, and the other thing is I w- did third grade twice. So all my friends are at least like a year younger than me. And a lot of, I tend to have more friends that are like more younger than me than mm-hmm. older than me. So I know a lot of Gen Z people and a lot of them are in relationships and a lot of them have kids. Even just people I went to school with, a, a lot of them have kids and are married and I just don't, you I think a hear lot of this, this is blown a lot. out of proportion. Yeah. I hear this a lot. Like whenever I hear some woman saying like, it's so sad. People are encouraged not to have kids anymore. I don't know what they're talking about because kids are everywhere. People are having them all over. The not place, just right? that, but you cannot say as like a teenager, like I'm not going to have kids without some woman being like, oh, you'll change your yes, mind about you that, sweetie. Yeah. Literally, because when I was in high school, I would say it like innocently and not even realizing like, oh, I'm saying this in front of my friend's mom who has nine kids and she might take it personally. They say that stuff in our chat room. What? Like that you're going to want to have kids or whatever. Oh, yeah. But I'm talking about like real people. <laughs> like real people in real life. Yeah. Really try yeah. to encourage and just talk about it's, it like it's a fact, like to their kids. Like when you have kids, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. It's inevitable. Like, it's not like a question. You will have kids. Mm -hmm. That's the culture everywhere that I've ever lived. But don't you think it's possible that, you know, things are getting worse economically? We know that, right? We're hearing stories about people that are having to tighten down their budgets. They're having to cut out some of the luxuries that they might be enjoying. You can't go to Starbucks every day or whatever it is that they're cutting out in order to, or they're buying uh, cheaper items at the grocery store, not buying name brands. We're hearing stories about this. Isn't it possible that the United States could see similar changes to what's happening in Japan, where if people aren't making as much money, they're more likely to stay moved in with their parents. They're less likely to go and strike out on their own, where they would have that freedom to go and meet people, uh, getting together with somebody else, with a partner, moving in together. It just seems less you know and less weird? likely. I think that just this is just totally anecdotal 
Bonnie talking. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's fact, but it just seems to me like millennials are the worst about that stuff than Gen Z. Like, I feel about, like, like staying at home with parents. Yeah, like never leaving their parents' house, focusing on a career. Like, people who are like in their 30s right now and not married. I just think there's a larger number of them than there will be when all the Gen Z people are in their 30s. Mm. Well, uh, it'll be interesting to see whether that's the case, because if it's hard to get enough money together to even move out of your parents' house, and the reason is because millennials, that's going to be something to hold you back. It's terrible. It's terrible to talk about any group of people based on their generation and, and um, put them all into one basket, talk about them yep. all like they're the same thing. They're all individuals. But I just got to say, if I, w- if I had to... <laughs> I would choose millennials as the most uh, woe is me type. Mm, Coddled? Coddled. Like, I feel like for whatever reason, Gen Z just like, it's like the pendulum did swing. Like, people are like, oh, all these kids, all these only children, all these uh, millennials are so bad. Like, they think everything is so bad in their life and they have anxiety. So I'm not going to raise my kids like that. And I think Gen Mm. Z just didn't get that. You don't think the Gen Z is going to have the whole, I've got anxiety, I've got depression thing? I think they do now, but like Mm -hmm. the more that they turn into adults, like I'm like the oldest one, I'm 26. And I just feel like it's not as big of a thing as it was with just even people my sister's age, Mm. my older sister. Okay. I hope you're right about that. I I hope we are seeing the pendulum swing in a more independent uh, direction for these people but I think the reason is like people who were Gen X they felt like their lives were hard and they wanted to make it easier for their kids so well, they had millennials for all parents right they want to make it easier for their kids well I don't know to more of an extent and now that the millennials know that their lives were easy maybe they're not having as they're not doing as bad raising kids mm-hmm. I don't know well, if you want to weigh in you're certainly welcome to do so at 603-283-6160 I, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of with you on this, Bonnie. Like, you know, hey, if Japan's going to fall, then it's going to fall. And, and there's, you know, is, there's no need to worry about it. But I don't think that I get why people are concerned. The United States could have the same problem because we you don't think no, because we allow people to immigrate here more than Japan. And yeah. plus people just come in anyway. Oh, OK. That's that's true. I don't know if it's enough, though. That's the question. And also, I don't know if the numbers that they come out with here, these fertility rates, uh, where, again, the, you have to be over a 2.1, roughly, to actually have the replacement rate going on. Uh, I don't know if that factors in immigration. Maybe it does. Maybe once people... Oh, uh, no, that doesn't make sense. Well, I don't know. Because it wouldn't be a two. The two is just two parents and a kid. No, a two is two parents having two kids. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They want you to have two. It wouldn't. They wouldn't factor in people just coming into the country, or else why would they? Where would they get the two from? I don't know if I understand the question. I, I, if if you move to the country and you have children with a, somebody, then you'd be factored in, I presume, into however it is they're collecting this data. I don't know if it's like the census or what. That would that would be an interesting thing to kind of learn more about how they come up with these. Fertility rate numbers. Looks like it is Census Bureau information, according to data.worldbank.org. So, well, according to the Census Bureau, I'm Gen Z and not a millennial. <laughs> really? Yeah. That, that's why I always thought it was Gen Z. And then people started saying, actually, no, I looked it up. You're a millennial. Mm. And I was like, it, there's just other people, entities that call 1996 the last year of millennial. Yeah, just depends. But Census Bureau seems to be pretty legit to me. So, I mean, presuming that immigrants are answering the census, then this would factor them in. 
So that may suggest that immigrants who move to the uh, United States are less likely to have massive amounts of children. Maybe because they're too busy Why? working. I oh, don't know. I, I don't know. I, don't I know. just don't know that I can believe that. But first of all, I don't think that the immigrants are answering the census. And well, I have personal experience. I really don't think they are. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say. But the number has been going down, by the way, in the last, uh, especially the last decade. In Maybe uh, in like California where it's like, a, you know, they have sanctuary cities. Maybe they're answering the census people to come to the, do- the door. So the last time since 1990, roughly, that it, the number was above a two would have been in 2008. So ever since 2008, Oh, and I was going to bring that up earlier. One reason I think millennials, uh, if I was going to generalize a group of people based mm-hmm. on their generation, are the worst is because they had 2008 happen. So they were like, my future's over, man. What's even the point <laughs> of anything? I have anxiety. 2008 crisis happened, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's... Possibly going to get worse here, Bonnie. I mean, if we take what some of the things... It's only gotten worse, and the Gen Z people still have a better attitude than millennials. Okay, but I'm just telling you, like, the economic circumstances that Gen Z and the millennials are going to have to deal with is likely going to be worse if things keep going in the direction they're going, which is to say unlimited money printing by the uh, the federal government and increasing uh, interest rates. Yeah, it's I mean, never stopped. Is... It's only gotten worse since 2008. People don't realize that inflation doesn't go away. It just gets worse. Well, now they're going to say the inflation numbers have, quote unquote, gone down. And Which I think means I the rate saw... of inflation. Correct. Correct. So, I mean, I guess we'll see. Uh, but, I mean, having watched Peter St. Ange every, every day definitely doesn't have a uh, positive outlook for what's coming in the immediate future he does to the United States economy. And I think really he's well-informed. He does this um, one-take Mm-hmm. And he gives you all of the news about economics. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't edit that. Yeah, it is a one. Take. I noticed that. And I think it's pretty cool. But um, so he, he has a great voice, and he does it in like one take, maybe like a minute long. Thing, it's three minutes. Usually. Three minutes. Yeah. Talking about um just the current news in the economic sector, and yeah, it's not a good thing to uh, start your day with. But Ian does it to us all the time because <laughs> it just sounds really bad, even the times when I don't really know what he's talking about. Yeah, it's it doesn't look good. Uh, so the best thing you can do is prepare yourself. You know, look into alternatives instead of the dollar. Look into alternatives like you know gold backs and cryptocurrency like Dash or Monero and other yeah, things that are out there. Looking at the bright side whenever he's talking and just think about Bitcoin. And you know what? There's no shame in moving in with roommates or moving in with uh, with parents. It may become more nece- uh, necessary as as time. You don't want to have tighter. kids if you live with roommates or your parents. Yeah, that's true. We may see fewer of those. But at the same time, if you don't want to have kids, who really cares? You don't want to have kids. I think you should just do with do your you. life whatever you yeah, want to do. And do also, you. I think we should open the borders and let more Hispanics come here if they want to come here. Absolutely. This has been Free Talk Live. Or Japanese. Thanks for listening in and calling in. Or Canadians. And have a good night. Peace. See you tomorrow. want to move to the free state and you're looking for some real estate well i know a guy who's really great it's the realtor mark ward now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in new hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime our friends at porcupine real estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by new hampshire citizens reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com 
Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupine Real Estate.com